Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for any platform you want to use. Do you want to hold it? May I? Please. I imagine it must be so exciting to squeeze your finger here and... Watch something die over there. Could you do it? Could you kill something? I don't know, Your Grace. Do you think I could? Yes. Would you like to watch me? Yes. Well met, pickpockets and cutthroats, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Sir Duncan, Lord Sterling. And I am Lady Kristen of House McWigglebergino, the gentleman. (laughs) And this is Game of Microphones, episode 64. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones, season three, episode two, Dark Wings, Dark Words. And we've got a special guest joining us this week. <laughs> it's our good friend Obsidian Crow, aka Travis. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks for uh, having me back. <laughs> I don't really Glad know to what to you. go on from there. What, what my name is? I'm just that Lord that Travis, maker Lord Travis. of leather, traveler <laughs> of New Zealand, father yeah. of wolves. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Nice. I'm good at that. You should just. You want to make mine for me? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah! Just in case you guys aren't aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast from the episode from the perspective of someone who's current on Game of Thrones. That means that you've seen all the way up to season seven, episode seven. Warning. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! So. Without any further ado, let's jump right into our top three. Who wants to start? Travis, you are our beautiful guest. I think you should start. Okay. If you're ready. No, I'm I'm totally good. (laughs) I got like two pages of notes here, so I'm going. (laughs) Um, For my number three, I just wrote Lady Olena. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It it was the... This was the first time that we got to... um, see her experience her glory when marjorie was like bringing uh sansa up to meet her grandmother i i don't know why but i just pictured the thug life sunglasses on (laughs) (laughs) i know exactly why it's because you already know who she is so just the mere presence of her of her you know it uh no it's that meme right yeah yeah, yeah. it's the meme meme. The best meme ever. <laughs> Wait, oh, there is a specific Thug Life meme relating to the Queen of Thorns. That's what you're talking about. With yeah, with the shade sunglasses and the cigar, yeah, the blunt. Awesome. 
it's amazing. Nice. Um, <laughs> you have to. So post when it. she was like, I'm presenting my grandmother it's just, it, when it panned to her face that's that's all i saw it was just the, the, the glasses come down and then the yes, whatever that the dog song <laughs> she's like i want her to know it was me bitches that's so <laughs> da, 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 da. what a character man um yeah just everything i mean i i like seeing lady elena in whatever episode she's in yeah um, she just kind of tells things as it is, and she just gets to the point. And she has, like, like feel, yeah, like a very funny way of doing it, right? Yeah, and then the actor who is playing her is, I don't know if she's just like that in real life or if she had to, like, <laughs> prepare for that role, but um, I saw the thing that you posted, what was it, a week or two ago? Right, yeah, her name's and, Diana Rigg. Uh, yeah, yeah, and how she looks, like, exactly like Marjorie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Um... That's pretty exciting. But, uh, I figured that out. Yeah, so we we only got a couple of scenes with Lady Elena in this episode. I feel that the first episode and the second episode of this season um, is kind of like the build up episodes. Mm-hmm. So there sure. wasn't much happening. I mean, there was a lot happening, obviously, but it was just like the um, how do pieces. I word it? The, yeah, the get the ball rolling kind of episodes. You have to set up your pieces in order to play the game. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just like just like the Game of Thrones. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, the armies are lining up. <laughs> she kind of gets right to the point. I mean, she's known Sansa for what, like 10, 15 minutes? And then she just <laughs> if, straight yeah, up asks, that. so how is Joffrey? <laughs> yeah, I really like that, too. I'm really excited that you chose Lady Olena because uh, one of my points is the women of Westeros, and I was going to start off with that. So I'm very excited because Olena's like, like my cannonball in that one. I love but, her. Yeah. We can just roll right into your number, yeah. number three. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, perfect. Um, yeah. So she just gets right to the point. Um, she gets the info from Sansa, which, I mean, pretty much from this point when she asks her how joffrey is this is like the turning point which leads to like the purple wedding all the way like just seeing them they're like huh well that's a shame yeah this is the <laughs> moment i did like know. that line yeah it was really uh, funny and was marjorie like eating a peach or something and then just kind of glances over um, yeah, she says, uh, speak freely, child. We would never betray your confidence. I swear it. And that's when she says, he's a monster. And she replies, ah, that's a pity. <laughs> like you're saying, that's a it's shame. so funny. That, and, Please don't stop the wedding. About... <laughs> don't stop the wedding. <laughs> he's a monster, but don't please marry him. <laughs> um, how about the, uh, the... Like during that part where she said um, he's a monster, I just really liked how the, um, I guess the directors or whoever was filming it, they just kind of did like this, like the music was just building like intense, um, yeah, and then just kind of like panning into closer to Sansa's face, and she just won't um, look at anybody. Like maybe actually, when by the time she says he's a monster, is she making eye ca- contact with Elena? I don't remember. Um. I watched it's it twice kind of, and now uh, I was basing. She might have been looking down and then. I know for a while like, she was up. looking totally down. Uh, yeah. Just like terrified to speak. 
and oh man, there's so many like so many things about oh, this no, scene. Oh no, no, that no! Are great. She looks, she looks directly right at, her at when she Elena says that, right? and says he's a monster. Right, that's what I thought. Because at first, she, like, she's scared. Well, to she open was up. really stumbling through that whole scene until they talked about Ned's death, and then she went like dead oh. icy stare, and she Joffrey just like lost that. herself for a second. Yeah. You know, it took her a minute to collect herself back up and be like, Joffrey is my one true love, and he's brave as a lion, and I love him, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. She, uh, Lady Olena, like, asks for the cheese and tells that guy, you know, the cheese will get served when I want it served, right? So she he walks away, and Sansa looks terrified, and she's like, are you frightened, child? No need for that. We're only women here. You know, tell us the truth. No harm will come to you and that's when Sansa replies my father always told the truth you know and it's a sad moment and it reveals how traumatized Sansa mm-hmm. is of the truth and of honor and and connecting with people and being open with people because that's how her father was and it got him killed so she's closed off she's scared to tell the truth she's made a habit of lying about everything regarding the king um, it's just like a horrible position for a little girl to be in and so it's really good um, for her to finally have these two women who are a good influence who really don't mean her any harm who want to marry her into the family and move her to high garden like and there's no evidence that there's any any like trickery to that they seem genuine um, they know her father was killed they're against joffrey as well they know she's been victimized they want to help her so she's doing that whole thing um and then that's when um she opens up you know elena says yeah he had that reputation of being honest you know they named him a traitor and took his head and that's when she says joffrey Joffrey did that, and it's like the floodgates open, and at mm-hmm. that moment she connects with the two of them and makes the eye contact and and is willing to uh, take that risk again. I think it's an important moment for her where she realizes that, you know, she actually yeah, grew up with a good family, and for a while here she thought that it was like there was only a couple good people and that there was just scum everywhere else. Now she's seeing again that there are good people again, and so she's developing the capability to have a little bit more trust and it's a moment where she starts to like rebuild i think so that's good good sansa moment and you can tell that she's like hesitant about it too yeah she she hasn't really had somebody to fully confide her uh, feelings to yeah so she doesn't really know who in king's landing she can and cannot trust yeah even well sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say like that's that's how she was lulled into that um you know, away from, you know, that oppression that she's been feeling, um, you know, inside the Red Keep for so long, only because like when the minute that Loris comes to get her as they're walking, you know, Loris is putting her at ease. He's complimenting her. He's showing her affection. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he doesn't remember her, he pretends that he does <laughs> so at funny, some yeah. point. Right. Mm-hmm. As, as she's walking in, uh, as they're walking into um, the gardens, you know, you can feel it's lighter and you can feel that there's joy and you can just, it's like this oppressive quilt has been taken off of her and you know they're they're offering her lemon cakes and they're yeah. saying Those it's an honor to meet you and you know i mean they're showing her respect and they're um, manipulating her simultaneously i don't you know what i don't think so not I, in a I, negative I, way but they want her to talk to her to them well, you know? so yeah they're, but they're... i think that they want they do want the truth but i think that they also just want her to know that she's safe what yeah, i love not, about I don't the think Tyrells, the two are mutually exclusive like manipulating and then also like helping and caring for you know 
Well, okay. They just take different um, angles of manipulation on different characters in this episode. Marjorie manipulates Joffrey one way after they find the truth, pretending to like, would it, you know, would you want to watch me kill something? And then here they're like, they're like taking all my points today. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but what I love about the Tyrells is that is that they're so <laughs> women led, right? Yeah. So they see that Sansa is, you know in trouble and they're like listen we take care of our own here like you are safe they know that Cersei is treacherous they know that she will stomp on anyone's back to get what she wants you know and Elena and and, and Marjorie I mean Elena's been training Marjorie for this time for this moment in her Mm -hmm. life you know so this is the time where they're like you come into our fold we're going to protect you just let us know what we need to know so that we can just make our moves because this is this is our game now yeah you know and you believe that i mean we'll we'll take you under our into our ranks (laughs) the minute you see a lady elena you're like okay we've got someone that has like a fucking backbone and some brains and everything's gonna be fine (laughs) (laughs) and it is everything works out great yeah thanks for listening everybody story has a happy ending (laughs) (laughs) oh look there's the cheese (laughs) (laughs) cheese. Uh, it's so funny she's great man um she has so many great like one-liners in this whole scene too um like right off the bat, one of the first funny things. Kiss that, my hand. Yeah, she, yeah kiss me. Uh, she says, once a cow's been milked, there's no squirting the cream back up her udders, which was a good one. She uh, she talks about uh, Mace Tyrell calling him a fat head, which is hilarious because that's what my grandfather used to say about people. He, she like one time, you know, we made him mad messing around or something. You fat heads. You know, <laughs> think back on that fondly. Um um, she says, I'm much less boring than the others, which is another great line. And very <laughs> true. <laughs> all the Lannisters, yes, all the Lannisters are lions, and when a Tyrell farts, it smells like a rose. <laughs> <laughs> what does She's she say about her flock? Her oh, flock of hens or something? Let's see. Kiss me, child. It's so good of you to visit me and my foolish flock of hens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> foolish flock. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Um, I have a, at the end of my notes too for that scene that Sansa always has the worst time in the gardens. <laughs> like it's horrible <laughs> every time. Well, she got the nice walk with uh, oh, Loris. With Loris. Which, yeah, true. Yeah. Before she got emotionally beaten into a pulp and cracked open to the point where her contents <laughs> were forced to spill out. <laughs> Although she did make a couple of good friends, so there is an upside. I don't know. I think that she needed to say those words, you know, I, agree. I mean, you, totally. keep, you keep poison like that inside of you for too long and, you know, mm-hmm. you're bound to make a mistake. And she's been very good about her words. But, you know, other than Shay, she has nobody to talk to. And you can't really trust Shay. I, she's right. <laughs> she she's officially right. up to something in this episode. But whatever. Yeah. Um I agree. I think it was really important that she met them and was able to create a connection with somebody genuine. It just wasn't Mm. comfortable or pleasant, (laughs) you know, the Mm -hmm. the process. That's Uh, so funny because I looked at it totally different. Oh, really? I thought that it, I thought it was really, really good for her to be there. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I do too. I I think it was too. But I don't think that she walked away saying like, that was terrible or anything like that. I mean, maybe she had a little bit of anxiety about what may happen. But at this point, I mean, she's almost died a million times. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. I think you're totally right. I just think that up up to a certain point, she's sitting there getting grilled. She's like uh, forced to, to, 
to talk about this stuff that makes her uncomfortable and forced to to tell the truth when she's been worried that it'll get her killed this whole time. So I think that mm-hmm. there was, you know, the 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 important good things that are happening here are like overshadowed by like negativity just having to confront the issue at all but once they confront it it's like obviously has a really good psychological positive effect on Sansa and uh, enables her to move forward yeah well that's like talking to any abused woman right I mean they they're going to protect their abuser because they're still afraid of their abuser and it takes a lot of work to get somebody to crack and to talk mm-hmm. about the trauma that they, they have experienced or that they have experienced. Right. You yeah. know, and even when that little bit leaks out, it's like it, it's it opens the door for something to start healing. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so I think it's, you know, I, I just think that it's very important when you have a character such as Sansa who has had the trauma that she has had that you deal with that kind of healing and that that journey with respect and I think that that the show does such a great job with that definitely yeah it's interesting she she starts to open up when her father comes up and she says Joffrey Joffrey did that and it's like um it's like she starts to open up and then she realizes what's happening and she's struggling to to bring it back and bottle it back up. And, and she goes into another uh, like she goes back into robot mode and she's like, I never meant I can't. My father was a traitor. My, my brother as well. I have traitor's blood. I have traitor's Please don't blood. make me say anymore. <laughs> she's terrified, grandmother. Look at her. Speak freely, child. We would never betray your confidence. I swear it. You know, and that's when she realizes that she's in good hands, you know, and she mm-hmm. really opens up. He's a monster. So, yeah, it's a really important Sansa moment. Anything do else you want know? to mention about your uh, number three, Trev? Oh, what, I was were you going to say, say something there? Do we know if um, if that was in this? So, so she met her in the garden, and then she went back. Is that the same exact day that she was talking to Shay about Baelish and all that? Because that's a lot to process. I mean, <laughs> just in one day. Yeah, I don't know. Like what first, she's you, being grilled about Joffrey. About, are you talking about Elena? Or are you talking about Sansa? Sansa. Sorry, Sansa. Yeah, Sansa. Sansa yeah, being grilled about Joffrey with Shay. No, no, Sansa being grilled on Joffrey about in the gardens or whatever, and then she went back to her room or whatever, and then Shay's there, and then they're talking about Baelish. Oh no, Shay like, was getting her dressed when, and they were having that conversation, oh, right and then oh, right yeah. before, okay, Loras right, right. came to knock on the door. So funny too. Right. We have two two women in this episode who are infatuated with gay men. We have Brienne and uh, Sansa. How about that? Yeah. Who's Sansa is like in love with Loras, who's incapable yeah, of returning that. And same with Brienne. <laughs> Brienne knows that Renly's gay, though. Sansa has a very broken chooser. That's what we say in, in <laughs> my family. Point, yeah. Your For chooser sure. button is broken. <laughs> Classic. Um, anything else on your number three, Trev? Um, I think that's it. It was just Lady Elena. I oh, love it whenever right. she comes into the comes into play. So yeah, it's it's great. Whenever she gets screen time, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Roll right into yours, Lady K. Yeah. So mine was um, mine had had everything to do with just the women, women of Westeros. Um, so you know we've talked a little bit about Lady Olena and how she just like I put in my notes, Lady Olena in the house. Um, I was really, really excited to see her. I love that she was sitting there. I love that she finally stood up. I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, I thought she was in a wheelchair until she stood up. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. you you walk. Yeah, she's <laughs> That's great. exciting. 
Um, you know, I think her, uh, like I said earlier, when we were talking, you know, Marjorie has been very obviously groomed by Olena. Olena has no time for the men in her life. She thinks that they're all useless. I'm pretty sure. It's funny that the Um, Tyrell family is like the one family at this point that's like really female led, like boom, mm -hmm. the whole thing. I would absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree with it. Big time. Uh, even the men were serving the women. Right. You know? And Mace is just a dope. Loras is in a position where he can never hold the position of power because he's going to be a king's guard. Well, he did that so his secret wouldn't come out. Right. But um, same as Jamie. Um, so and then we talked a little bit about Sansa. And I, um, you know, I just love how delicate she is right now. I love that, you know, she's about as broken as she's going to be right now. Um, and. I think from here until the purple wedding is is going to be just this kind of like her stealing herself to finally just leave, right? Yeah. Um and Definitely. then once she, yeah, and then once she leaves, you know, then she starts to really evolve as a character, but this is kind of the beginning of okay, you know what? There's people outside of the Lannisters. There are people outside of King's Landing and I can actually maybe survive outside of this environment. And maybe this is like the very beginning of that, which is kind of cool. Um totally. you know, as far as other women go, um I I want to talk about it. I'll talk about it a little bit later because it's my number one. Um, but it, Catelyn, Catelyn's speech with um, Talisa was very beautiful Ooh, and very self-aware. <laughs> um, you know, she she's so strong, but she's strong to this horrible fault, right? Um, she, she can't manipulate her son anymore. He seems to have no more use of her and mm-hmm. she keeps a very big distance between her and Talisa. You know, all she can do is make this wreath that she knows is pretty much worthless at this point. Mm, yeah. Um, Although it does, you know, maybe it is helping because they are surviving for now. <laughs> well, I, and I like what she said about, um, did it, when he said, did it, um, did it work? And she said it worked for a fashion. Is that mm. what she said? She said it worked. Uh, bu- 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 where is it? Did they work after a fashion? I prayed after for my son Bran to survive his fall. So, so that was really interesting, and that's something I'll go into a little bit later about her speech because I I thought her speech was just fantastic. Yeah, that's my um, point. That's my uh, my number three. I'll add on to that as well because I got some quotes here. <laughs> that's cool. Nice. Um, you know, we have Shay, um, who I think is just so she's so strong and she's such a fighter. But I just think that she has she's fought for everything to the point that now she just fights to fight. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's so obtuse when it comes to her and Tyrion. Um, you know, Tyrion is sitting there and he's like, you know, now that the Lannisters have discarded Sansa, she'll have many suitors. And, you know, she's a very beautiful woman with a very old name. And Shay's like immediately. You want her threatened by this. <laughs> and it's like, dude, he's allowed to speak the truth about a woman, you know, yeah, right? It's, it's like and she's a child like you pervert. You just, want her. She's, you know. <laughs> Her insecurity is, I think, her biggest fault. But I like her protection for uh, Sansa. 
Where's uh, the motivation from that? It seems so sudden that she's like so diehard for to protect Sansa. She has not been instructed to do that by Tyrion because uh, she's telling him we need to protect her. Um, so where is that drive coming from? Yeah, I have does no... she just like her? You know, my guess, my guess is that she sees somebody who's down on her luck. And she's somebody that maybe has been down on her luck. So she sees, I know that like, there's a lot of different layers of theories for as Shay. As an underdog, she like I, feels that. Yeah, I think Shay is a pretty face value kind of character. <laughs> no, face. no pun intended. <laughs> I just think that there's it's Shay. It's that she's, is my traditional position. She's a pawn in you know Tyrion's life and in Sansa's life, and she works as kind of a. Um, a plot device, maybe, but I don't mm-hmm. think that there's like this huge revelation secret about her personally. And it's about all she can do, really. I mean, with helping Sansa, she's kind of, I mean, she can't go anywhere. She keep, doesn't Tyrion want to keep her secret? Um, yeah, this you're right. That's a really great point is that yeah. she she doesn't have any other purpose. No she autonomy. has sex with Tyrion and she protects <laughs> Sansa. That's it. That That's her life. Um, I lift things up and put them down. <laughs> Have you guys seen those commercials? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, oh, yeah. Help, just to clarify. Those are good. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I just have a few more for the, uh, women. Um, Arya, I love Arya in this episode. I love that she's just so foolishly brave. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know? we, yeah. We need to mention that, too. Um, she goes, speaking of being foolishly brave, she tries to start a sword fight with Thoros of Mir. And I know well, right. you're, you're a big Sirio Pharrell Guy, how do you think he would have reacted to this? Who me? Yeah, did oh. I just call you a guy? Uh, you're a big Serial Pharrell fan. How do you think he would react to this? <laughs> <laughs> I might have been a Serial Pharrell guy. Well, you don't know. She might be a faceless man. You know. Yeah, you know what? Kristen is Serial. <laughs> uh, ah, Travis. Shh. <laughs> don't tell anyone. A girl is not a man. <laughs> Good one. Seriously though, how do you how do you think Ciro would react to Arya's or sorry, to Arya's fight with Thoros? Oh, he would tell her that he had no she had no business doing any of that. Well, not only that, but how can you drop your arm, boy? Oh yeah, you know she drops mm-hmm. her sword. He said, "You will never drop your sword again. It must be part That's of your true. body. You cannot drop part, part of well, your body." <laughs> I loved it. I loved it that. She was the first one that came out, and Gendry yeah, and Hot fierce. Pie were hiding behind a tree. So fierce, you know. Yeah. And she just sat there, and she's like, "I'm gonna, I'll kill you. Like I don't know how to do it, but I'm gonna do it. Just keep walking <laughs> along, whistle, so we know you where you are. And if you do that, I won't kill you. <laughs> it's like totally. I, and rains of Castamere was being sung. Yeah, true. <laughs> I loved that. I'm thinking that this may be foreshadowing a future moment where where, you know, she's saying to this group of people, just walk away and I won't kill you. And they're laughing at her. Right. Maybe in season eight, this happens again, except this time when she's not taken seriously, she does kill everybody. <laughs> How cool. Would that. Well, be? Yeah, I would like that. Right? But she has she's been, you know, anybody that's come across her in season seven, they've all underestimated her. Yeah. And they've all laughed at her. And this and scene is like she can't do anything because she doesn't have the training yet. Right. But now she does right. have the training. So if this happens uh, again, everybody's it's fucking so cool. dead. I want to see that. I want to see her kill Cersei. <laughs> um. <laughs> And then finally, we have um, Mira Reed. 
And this is the first time that we've seen her. And what I love is that she's protecting her brother. She's better with the weapons. She comes mm-hmm. up behind Osha, who sees everything. And that was amazing. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> and she had Osha by the neck, which I loved. And she was just going to stay there until Jojen told her to put her down. Like, there was no way that she was going to move. Um, so I just, just love that helped. the first look we get at Helen Reed's daughter is just this really like strong, fierce Great woman character. who's like, I'm going to take you down. So, yeah, that was awesome. Women. <laughs> yeah. What a great scene that was too, when they show up and it's like misty and Osha runs off into the woods and yeah, we'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. Does that wrap I up your number a... three? Yeah. I didn't have any of my points. None of my points have to do with Bran or Warging because I knew between the two of you, that would be handled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what were you going to say, Trav? Oh, I have a like a line. Uh, I wrote a Joffrey line right down, right here, which kind of counter not counterplays, but uh, I mean, you just talked about all the the women of um, mm-hmm. Westeros and oh, in this, yeah, his line. in this um, in this episode, you see all of these like strong women doing all of these amazing different things, and then there's Joffrey's one line. <laughs> That's what intelligent women do. They do what they're told. And then I wrote at the end, I wrote in capital letters, smack. Hip slap. Yeah, hip slap. Just bam. And Cersei is just like disgusted this whole time. Like, during- Oh, but Cersei, man. Cersei was just terrible. Yeah. I, You know, Cersei is so funny. This is probably the weakest we ever see her is this, um, <laughs> this the first season. half of this season because uh, she's sure. lost all control of her son. Yeah. She's the weakest player. Yeah, she just doesn't know what to do. <laughs> she's just like, uh. Yeah, she's at the bottom of the power pyramid right now. She had the best line of the episode, in my opinion. She goes, you can give that fabric to Marjorie. Uh, that, that, that's about enough fabric. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was some shade. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> it's like a little swatch. <laughs> yeah, she, she dresses like a harlot for a reason. Married a traitor and known degenerate like Renly Baratheon for a reason. <laughs> um, and that's funny. Then he is listening because he tells uh, Marjorie later on that Renly was a known degenerate, right? Which is exactly <laughs> yeah. what Cersei told him. Here. Exact words. Yeah I, yeah. I wrote that down as well. That's funny. I just was looking at the script and realized that right now. Um, yes, yeah, so that's it for your number three, right? Uh, yes, sir. Women of Westeros done. All right. Ladies. Ladies. My number three is continuing on your talk about cat. And it is the plight of Cat and John, ah, which is just like a half of my number up. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can we can all collaborate. I know uh, Travis has something to say about it too. I'm excited. Yeah. So it starts off with um, with Talissa riding up on the horse, and Cat uh, tells her that she's afraid of the horse, and the horse knows it, which is kind of funny. And she's like, "I'm not n- denying it." And things are kind of rocky between um, Talisa and Cat. Be- you know, because of the whole marriage thing uh, and the betrayal of Walder Frey, I assume, and how Kat had warned against it. And so she asks her if she can help her, and she explains she can't help because only a mother can make one of these wreath things um, to protect her children. And um, she she asks about the history of them and if she's made them before, and she goes into the two times. She talks about how she made one for Bran, hoping that he'd survive his fall and it worked after a fashion because you know he ended up paralyzed wasn't fully healed and then she mentions that the first time that she made one which was many years before that when one of the boys came down with the pox which is 
fucking horrible, horribly brutal story. And this is like one of the saddest, saddest stories and moments, probably the whole series, in my opinion. It's just like mm-hmm. the, the the way that this story ends and the trajectory that it sends the the event of events of this universe on. Um, so she talks about how, you know, Maester Lewin had said that if the boy made it through the night that he'd live, but it would be a very, a very long, long. night. <laughs> I wrote <laughs> that quote. One of our, one of our listeners pointed it out um, in, in the feedback and I just saw that and I was like, Oh man, I didn't even realize it. So she uh, says she sat like, with him. What? I didn't know that. Right. Isn't that cool? No, no, no. I, I didn't know that. A, I didn't know that a listener uh, posted it. Cause I have a whole, paragraph on it oh nice um, <laughs> i have my take on it too if you want to hear Yay. yeah so you, let's let's well, hear your takes on it now and then i'll continue oh okay um well there's that quote and then when i heard that quote you know if he made it through the night then he would live but it would be a very long night and in my head i was just thinking okay if it just uh, like kind of flashed to the future for the long night the exactly. long night and i was like okay if he makes it through the long or through the night, I mean, then he'd live. So if he makes it past season eight, let's say, um, through all of this horror and the Night King gets defeated and blah 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 blah, then he'd get to live a normal life. But it would be a very long, like it's gonna be a, a very while. long night. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. just kind of, and then she said, make him a Stark. Right. Yeah. That just kind of hit me. Yeah, that was fucked up. I think our listener said that they liked this line, Kristen, because it will give you confidence that John will survive the long night because he survived this long night. Wow. Everybody's on. Yeah, that's how I that's kind of how I uh, took it was that it was if he'll be all right if he survives the night, but it'll be a long night. So, you know, I'm sure that that line was very carefully worded. Yes, definitely. Um, You know, and. And so he ha- he did survive that night. He did survive the other night that he was stabbed. Mm. And he's probably going to survive this long night. Hope you so. know, right. We'll see what happens. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if he'll rule the Iron Throne. I don't know if there's going to be an Iron Throne. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we right. don't know that. But that doesn't say that just because he's not ruling doesn't mean he doesn't survive. Right. Right. Yeah. In some way or another. Um, Hell, he might so, not even want it. <laughs> he might just want to go live a normal oh, life. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't even want to be king of <laughs> yeah, the north. Yeah, exactly. He, he's, he's just, just like, like, he's good somebody at it. <laughs> just, you know, give me my dire wolf and give me my woman and just let me be for once. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. So, yeah, that's what I took. I took that as um, as a kind of a nod to who he was going to turn his out future, to be. The prophecy mm-hmm. of his of his. You know, like it sums up his life that he's going to be important for the long night. Um, that's, that's wild. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. So she s- talks about how she sat with him through the darkness, listening to his ragged little breaths, his coughing, his whimpering. And Talissa asks, which boy? And she says, Jon Snow. And that's oh, when it she like says it like spits it almost. Yeah. That's when it hits you, too, because like you're like thinking like, oh, whoa, she had a moment of like of intimacy essentially with Jon Snow where she like did something for him and cared for him. And that's well, she, she made him a wreath. Yeah. I mean, she said only a mother can make that. So, I mean, she was kind of claiming John or at least acknowledging him as right. a son. <laughs> yeah. And she said like, if well, he makes she it through did the night, in that I'll, night. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's when she goes into her story and talking about how her husband brought home a baby from the war and she couldn't bear to look at him. And every time that she looked 
at those strangers' brown eyes staring up at her. Uh, she prayed that the gods would take him away, make him die, <laughs> which is fucking insane. And then he got the pox, and she knew she was the worst woman who ever lived. A murderer. She'd condemned this poor, innocent child to a horrible death, all because she was jealous of his mother, mm -hmm. a woman she didn't even know. So she prayed to all seven of the gods to let him live. Let him live, and she would love him. Like you're saying, Trevor, she'll be a mother to him. Trevor. Travis. Travis. I, said, I was watching Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> Sorry. That's so uh, funny, because my friend Taylor calls me uh t trevor all the freaking time and really just like, what? <laughs> no, purposely he calls me it purposely oh that's funny if he listens to this he's gonna be laughing i'll, I'll, I'll i'm gonna delete that so i don't sound like an idiot um uh, <laughs> Anyways, go on. i always do that i try to make myself not sound dumb and everybody who's on too uh not that you ever do sound dumb yeah <laughs> <laughs> So she says she'd be a mother to him. She'd, she'd beg Ned to give him a true name, to call him Stark and be done with it. And he lived, and she couldn't keep her promise. And it's so it's such a sad moment as she, like, you know, we, there's the constant battle in life between emotion and logic. And it, it's, it's, everybody goes through it when there's certain situations where, like, you want, you want to do something because of emotion, but you know, like, you should do it something else. And in this situation, she can't overpower the emotion. Like, her logical brain it takes the back seat, and emotion rules her, which is the same thing that happened with her decision to free Jamie and uh, in an emotional bid to save, um, you know, her daughters. Right. So she, she fails here. She couldn't live up to it. Um, and this sort of is interesting. She says, I couldn't keep my promise. And this is a promise about John, right? So it mirrors Ned and how Ned did keep his promise to Liana about John, the prince who was promised. Right. Um, and when she says, promise me, Ned, you know, keep him safe. So that's cool because that reinforces um, that even among Starks, um, that Ned is one in 10,000 men, as uh, Maester Eamon put it. Right. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then Talisa is just sitting there the whole time during the story, just looking shocked that Kat is even being this open with her at all. Because like I said, their relationship has been sort of on the rocks. And so she's really like opening up to her, pouring out like everything here. And, um, it like really culminates in, in in this final line, which just cements that this is one of the saddest moments of the whole series. When she says that, and everything that's happened since then, all of this horror that's come to my family, it's all because I couldn't love a motherless child. Right? Yeah. Just super emotional. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that like they've encapsulated so many different aspects of life and emotion and reality and decision making and ramifications and you know relationships and everything just condensed into this one scene that lays so much stuff out and i uh, just thought it was really well done and greatly performed do you remember the last time she made that wreath um or bran she yeah it was when bran was um in the bed it was Season one, episode two. And John the walked Kings, in on the her. King's Road. <laughs> and John right. came and in. And <laughs> as she was making it, uh, no, it, it was Cersei that oh, came Cersei. in. Oh, Cersei. Cersei, right, right. And they had that really uh, deep conversation where Cersei Talked about losing uh, the boy. told Catelyn about the boy that she had uh, lost. Right. I forgot about that. Was she working on it also when John came in to say goodbye or was she just I, sitting probably. there? I think she was working on it the entire episode. Oh, but the irony. it's funny that they talked about these 
cast aside little baby boys. Mm, right. Over the wreath of the seven. Just interesting. No, Definitely. No connection made or anything. Just interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that pretty much wraps up my number three. Just that whole scene, which was just so sad and beautiful and horrible and understandable and like you really like feel bad for john you feel bad for cat you're pissed off at cat kind of feel bad for talisa yeah you feel bad for (laughs) talisa what did i marry into yeah this is this is fucked up yeah um so yeah just a really intense scene from a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different ways and i thought that it was just beautifully executed i feel like talisa was trying to like warm up to Catelyn a little bit more as well. And then she was just instantly yeah. shut down. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she at least felt like she was shut down yeah. and then, and then Kat opened explained. up to her and let her in. And yeah, yeah, that's crazy, man. What about your number two? T-bone. Oh, me. Trevor. Yeah. Trev. Hey, Trevor. <laughs> you guys are going to start calling me in that now. Too. Trevor and Corey. Taylor, I hate you. <laughs> See what you did. See what you did, Taylor, if you're listening to this. Anyways. <laughs> okay, so going into my number two, Dark Wings, Dark Words. Um, I just like the concept of that. Oh, and so I started doing a little bit of research into like the meaning and um, I love research. Yeah, yeah. So I found out there is a Turkish proverb that no way. Yeah, it states, I'm going to probably butcher this, so I apologize if anybody's Turkish. Um, oh, I don't want to mess this up, but I'm going to try. Uh, Kara Haber Tez Duyuler? <laughs> if Bueller? Yeah, not Bueller. Bueller! <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> um, if I butchered that, please, anybody let me know. Probably did. Uh, it translates to Travis. (laughs) It uh, it translates to bad news are heard quickly. Um, so dark wings, dark words is commonly referred or commonly associated with um, getting news about something that's horrible. So whether it be war, death, um, just bad news in general. Um, and in the books. Dark Wings, Dark Words is more prominent than in the show. Yeah, it's attributed to Cat saying it a lot too. Like, don't people say, "Oh, my mother used to say like Dark Dark Wings, Dark Words"? Yeah, Cat would say. There was, um, I mean, through a various amount of websites, I was just kind of scrolling all over the place. Um, there are thirteen instances of the phrase in the books, nine of which nice. are associated with House Stark and the North, and it's often associated with the Northmen, as you can see. Um, it, Who are the other ones? Oh, I don't know. It didn't. Know? It didn't show me. I'm gonna have to do a little bit more research into that. But nine of them, nine out of the times in the books, Hail Hydra, um, are <laughs> associated with House Stark. <laughs> yeah, in the books, just for anybody that you know, it, this is this isn't very spoilery, but Hail this Hydra. is you know just kind of fun. <laughs> um, so. You know, dark wings, dark words. Basically, it means you know, any a raven that comes at night always brings bad news. Bad news. So, or just dark wings. Ravens in general are black birds, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I think it was dark wings, like wings that come in the night at night. Dark. I remember duck. reading that. 
I remember reading this passage. That's mm. the only oh, reason all right. why. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's the only reason why. Like I'm, it must I'm be something dire it. and urgent yeah. if the message is coming at right, night. Right. Exactly. If if a raven's coming at night, it's none of it is good. That's wild. Which yeah, ties I mean, that into that happens in this episode. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Which ties into yeah. um, Lord Bolton knocking on Rob's door, and he was like, "There was a raven in the night, or whatever." There's two mm-hmm. um, dark wings, dark words, Talk dark wings, dark words, and for, both of them. Yeah, it's like, she's having a so rough do you want episode. The bad news, or do you want the, the even worst news? Worst news. <laughs> do you want the news that's bad but kind of okay, or do you want the news that's going to make you want to hang yourself from a tree? Which one? I can Wait, which one's it. the one that's bad but kind of okay? Well, I just want to understand your very logic old, here. <laughs> the very old man that was going to die anyways died. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you meant that like it was bad that Winterfell got sacked, but no. kind of okay because we don't know exactly that they're dead. <laughs> no, clearly, clearly I, I'm saying, you know, uh, um, who is it? Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Lord Tully. Foster Tully. Yeah. yeah. Lord Tully. That that that's the one that's going to send Rob over the edge, right? No. Right. No. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, we're going to get our uh, <laughs> We're going to get our first meeting with um with Edmure soon too, huh, for that yeah. funeral. Oh, Blackfish. what a wanker. Where he botches that arrow, that flaming arrow gig. Oh no, the Blackfish fixes it for him. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the Blackfish. So um, he totally screws it up. But that's yeah. like a tr- uh, play on an old Viking tradition, huh? Oh, the the boat with the yeah. with the arrow, yeah, yeah. That um, I mean, yeah, it's mostly associated with that. But I think there are other cultures, if other I've, things mixed in. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've read in probably. other areas of that being a a thing that people would do. Um, nice. But, I remember them doing it in Beowulf too, something like that. Yeah, cool. Beowulf, and then Tolkien got it from. Uh, from all the Norse mythology and stuff and incorporated it into Lord of the Rings. And If you ever want to get wasted, watch Beowulf and drink every time he says, I am Beowulf. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am Beowulf! I am Beowulf! I That's am like Beowulf. drinking every single time Joffrey says, I'm the king. I'm the king. Shots, 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 Yeah, if I was uh, Roos in that situation, I would just taken both scrolls put it behind my back and been like so i got bad news and i got bad news just pick a, pick a hand <laughs> yeah, right. and I'll, I'll give you the first one <laughs> would you um, like the rope or the dagger to commit suicide after this bad news um yeah and so i was just doing a bunch of research on dark wings and dark words and then um i also cool. i didn't know that i i sent you a couple of song links duncan earlier um, oh yeah, so I haven't had time to listen. No, yet. that's cool. Um, it was just I was sending it so I would remember myself. <laughs> oh, um, nice. <laughs> so Hammerfall is a band um, from Sweden, Ooh. and they're like power metal and whatnot. And I think I've heard them before. They're awesome. They're Hammerfall. Awesome. Hammerfall. They sing. There's a few songs about Game of Thrones, so you you would probably like them, Kristen. Um, they have no, a song I called. I... <laughs> Uh, dark wings and dark words they have a song titled that and then there is another band which is one of my favorite bands of all time blind guardian Um, oh yeah those guys are good and they have a song called uh, a voice in the dark and then that whole song is about bran and one of the lines is believe in dark wings and dark words the shadow returns um nice so that was just what's that (laughs) the shadow archetype oh yeah yeah or the shadow baby 
<laughs> I'm making jokes because I have nothing to offer for metal. Jokes and jokes and jokes so and spaghetti, out. spaghetti. <laughs> shout out to Blind Guardian and Hammerfall. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, Mega shout out. That's my, I mean, that's my number two, Dark Wings and Dark Words. Oh, right. Yeah, that's cool. I hadn't really, I just hadn't really thought about it. But yeah, we totally did get um, some Dark Wings and Dark Words in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fucked up. Um, how about you, Kristen? Number two? What you got? I, I, have, uh, I just wanted to talk about Joffrey. I, I've titled it The Many Nuances of Joffrey. Uh, <laughs> um, our glorious one true king. Well, you know what? I went through a lot of emotions with Joffrey uh, during this episode. I think what? that we had I think that we had a really, really good um, kind of insight to Joffrey in this episode. There's a lot of him. We usually don't get a lot of him because he's so terrible that you can only take him really in small doses. <laughs> Um, yeah, pretty but, much. You know, he's. I think we forget that he's still a child. You know, I mean, he's such a monster, and he's unleashed on all seven kingdoms, and he's been raised by horrible people. I mean, right. even Robert Baratheon was a terrible father, right? Totally. And so, what what I think is interesting is that you know while we forget about that, we also see that he's struggling. I think he's struggling with his rage. Um, his scene with his scene with Cersei, uh, it looked like 80% of that scene was him just trying to swallow down his rage. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, the actor that plays him, Jack Leeson does such a, a fantastic job portraying this guy because <laughs> as much as we hate him, he's also this very lost child that has had no direction. He's had nobody ever tell him no. He's now he's king, you know, so now even if somebody tells him no, he can kill him if he wants. He really enjoys sadism, you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. his favorite pastime. It's in his it's in his e-harmony ad. Um, but so, okay. So, um, so what's interesting is that Joffrey's trying to be a man and Cersei is trying to handle him. Tywin tries to handle him. Uh, Tyrion tries to handle him. Everybody handles Joffrey and it makes him even more angry. It makes him more explosive and more, um, great point. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Volatile. Not volatile. Um, it's that word. Active. Unpredictable. Okay, yeah. Right? He says he's going to show mercy to Ned, and what does he do instead? He cuts off his head. Right? Right. right. So it, it, he's... Oh, it is mercy compared to what else he would have given him. He oh. gets really angry when <laughs> shit is thrown at him, so he orders for everybody to die. Right? So right. he's just unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to do next. Right? Um, And so... The first person that doesn't outwardly handle him is Marjorie. Marjorie yeah. comes in and she knows exactly what to do. But she had like a little mini session with Sansa beforehand. She found out, okay, this guy's a monster. He has no yeah. soul. He this this is the stuff that he's done. Now she's going in. When she goes into that room to meet with him, she's confident. She knows what she's right. walking into, which is not what a lot of people can say about going into the king's chambers she, when she goes to 
to to touch him to you know most women would touch a shoulder or a hand or a knee she goes directly for the crossbow she knows that's where he gets off and that's where she's <laughs> going to 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 bring him into her right and she starts saying you know do you want to watch me kill somebody do you mm. think i could do it can i go hunting with you i think you're amazing at this right and that's when he starts to engage in her and he starts to fall for her and he starts to see her as something more than a plaything. he hates women but he cannot keep himself from falling into this woman that he's now betrothed to marry um which yeah, I think is really uh, interesting. Emotion is overriding his logic too. He he employs these scare tactics, and he's like, you know, you were you you were married to a traitor. Like, why shouldn't I? You know, why shouldn't I just kill you right now? Basically, I mean, he's not saying that, yeah. but I think that that's basically the gist of what he's, he's not getting saying at. it, but he's saying it. Right? He's got a crossbow <laughs> in his hand, and he's like, "Listen, bitch, let me tell you what I know. Why are you here?" Right? And she is so good at just sitting there and saying, you know. Well, you know, there was this one time he wanted to do something that sounded very painful and not made for babies. And, you know, what am I going to do? And then and then, you know, he softens a little to kind of her submission to her. And then he's and then he says, well, I think I'm going to, uh, you know, make it a punishable offense to be gay. And, you know, she had an opportunity to try and, you know, be like, no, no, don't do that. But she's like, well. You're the king. You and can. Nobody yeah. has really said that to him yet. Nobody has said, you know what? You're the king. You decide. He has to constantly remind people that he's the king and he does decide. <laughs> I'm the and decider. I think that that's where he decided this is the woman for me. This is who I respect. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just interesting to me because you see this volatile, heinous, horrible, horrible, sadistic motherfucker fucker boy king i hate him i hate him but i can't help but feel sorry for him at points because nobody told him what to do and nobody respected him ever heard somebody say something recently that i thought was pretty interesting they said you know girls can kind of they sort of naturally become women and nurture and do that but boys without a like a good male role model they don't become men they just stay boys and that i guess that kind of applies here and that that's going to cause the rage and that's going to cause the the problems and the issues and ultimately his death because nobody taught him how to be a human. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's fucked up. I wrote down that was a good rant into the it, what you just kind of said there. Um, she basically finds out that he's cruel and then she kind of redirects um, his insults and just plays dumb while petting his ego at the same time mm-hmm. um, yeah. because she knows, how to play the, she knows how to play the game. Um, she knows what her and her grandmother's goal is. Um, so she knows. And I think through um, Olena's like counsel and like teaching and um, she's kind of conditioned her to play this part into the overall goal of the Tyrells. Um, yeah, definitely. She tells her, like, what, your time is now, right? You're better at this than I ever was. Like, mm-hmm. go, <laughs> go right. do it. <laughs> and then during that scene, I also, um, I really liked the the um, the mirror shot. Oh, um, yes. I don't know why. Like, I, I watched that a couple of times, and right after she says, do you think I could do it? Do you think I could kill something? And he says, 
and then it just it flips. Yeah, jeez. And the then mirror it's shot. and then it's the mirror shot where the camera is pointing at the of them in the mirror. And mm-hmm. I think there was like some fire flickering or maybe maybe not exactly fire, maybe it was just a lamp or something, but it was just kind of a darker there's a fire flickering in his eyes, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah there's this like a darker tone. <laughs> and it was just, it was a great filming technique for that specific scene to capture that emotion. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I also think that if Joffrey was ever going to feel love, this is the point. This is it. This is it. If he doesn't yeah. feel the love here, th- that's it. Right. Sometimes like he's he does he feels more hate and violence, but he does like feel like lust. It seems like he does seem physically attracted to her. So what she does is she's got to cross the signals, you know, and like mm-hmm. like <laughs> mix a little bit of lust <laughs> with a little bit of violence, and and that's like the the speedball crack meth or crack heroin duo that you know, <laughs> that, that gets Joffrey off to like the max degree. But she does it so well. She yeah. knew exactly what to do. Hmm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. She, <laughs> she's she's such a capable character, and um, the Queen of Thorns has totally groomed her, and is right that like she's meant for this. She just was not prepared for what a total unreserved psychopath Cersei is at the end. That's just what it comes down to: is that you can't underestimate the levels, the depths of depravity that your enemies will go to. And I mean, she was she did figure it out. It's just that she didn't, she couldn't get out of the Sept in time, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, so if anybody, I mean, mean, she was a great, great competition for Cersei, a great foil um, to be on the other end of the Joffrey Tommen situation. And it sucks what happened to her. It's kind of like losing, like not like to the same degree as losing Ned, but it's like losing a major force for good. The only one in King's Landing at that point, you know what I mean? So I did. Yeah, I didn't see her going like that. That was a shock. Yeah. When that sept blew up. I, was, I couldn't believe it. I, I seriously, I I sat there with my mouth open, just in, in silence. Yeah. Like, what I did I just watch? <laughs> I was just yeah. Um, the the during that whole scene, like when they went down, went down under the the sept, and then he saw the wildfire and stuff. I'm like, oh no, this is yeah. this is gonna happen gonna happen but yep. i didn't know if it was just gonna be contained at that point or if it was gonna be like all of king's landing yeah <laughs> uh, yeah jeez yeah, that was a roll of the dice that felt really i think out of all of that that whole entire scene the the one character i felt really bad for was sir pounce because <laughs> <laughs> he you know i mean he sir pounce was, what happened to sir pounce friend. Nothing, nothing happened, but his, like, owner jumped out the window. He lost his oh, own. <laughs> that scene, okay, yeah, As yeah, yeah. As Sir Pounce looks on with the crown Sir next Pounce to him. Sir Pounce is abandoned. <laughs> He's like, now I am truly king. <laughs> Sir Pounce is like, wait for me! Meow! So, yeah, that wraps up my number two is just Joffrey. I just, uh, I thought this was a really great Joffrey episode just to kind of see nice. kind of the range of really who he was. Before yeah. we go back to really hating him again. Right. <laughs> Gotta love him. So my number two is Jamie and Brienne traveling and fighting. Yay. Um, <laughs> so it starts off with them walking along and they're, you know, trying to get to King's Landing and Jamie's joking around about how they should pass the time, you know, like um, insinuating that they should have sex or something. 
which just cause he's just he's just messing with her because you know she's a virgin, right? <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, so he, he says it's going to be a very dull walk, and that people who you know just who you know like um, if it, it you know it doesn't matter how loyal a servant you are, no one enjoys the company of a humorless mute. He says, which is funny. He's like, trust me on this. I've been had people serving me since I was born, which I thought that was pretty funny. So then they're um, they're walking along, and I, <laughs> and he, he he stops to take a piss, and I, I noticed that she very carefully is not looking anywhere towards his 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 manhood, which was pretty funny. Um, yeah, and then, she she kept her eyes on his face the entire time. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, no, not even a flick, which is hilarious. Um, I wonder what like, what I'm trying to decipher what that means. Um, so that was pretty funny, and then. Um, they're talking about Lady Stark. Um, she, uh, she, he says some funny stuff. He has a lot of funny lines too. He says that he had visited Winterfell and she wasn't in service of Cat then because he would have noticed her dour head smacking into the archways, which I thought was a funny line. Um, and he has another great line talking about about Renly and his proclivities. He says it's a shame the throne isn't made out of cocks. They'd have never got him off it. I loved. <laughs> that line <laughs> that so funny, right? um so he's like this sets off brienne and in um in in a moment of of humanity philosopher jamie emerges and tells brienne that he's on the level and he's like no don't worry it's cool get being gay is cool like he says she's shut your mouth and grabs him right and like pulls him in and she's like grabbed him by the throat and shut your mouth. And he's, she's like, I don't blame him. And I don't blame you either. You know, we don't get to choose who we love. Which is, you know, he understands because of Cersei. Um, which is a funny line, but nobody knows that really. And I just thought that this was an interesting moment because he said this. And as he said this, it's after she's grabbed him and he's like, you know, got him under her control. And they're stirred face to face in an aggressive way as she's restraining him. But also in a manner where... The slightest movement by either of them would result in a beautifully framed kiss um, with Brienne in the position of the male, stereotypically, with with Jamie kind of like draped over across her as she's like strangling him, sort of. But they're like inches away from being, you know, kiss and uh, kissing and they're talking about who they love and, and you can't control who you love. So I thought maybe that was like hinting at a future, you know, romance or relationship between the two of them, which we get to some degree, not necessarily full-blown romance, but, you know, um, it's romantic in nature, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And then um, they're they're moving along, going along, and discussing all this stuff, staying off the King's Road. They run into this guy. Um, who Jamie is suspicious. He says that he, he knows who I am. Brienne doesn't want to do anything because she does. You know, she, he's an innocent man. He says, and Jamie puts it in perspective: more innocent than Lady Stark's daughters. You know, like if we don't kill this guy, maybe like it'll stop your mission. Um, and that really shows Brienne's so was, honor too. Like, yeah, on killing that is. Yeah, and it shows, but also shows. Um, you know, Jamie's view on honor too. It's like, what's more important? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to pick between. Well, it shows sometimes. how inexperienced she is. That too. She yeah. blindly trusted this man, who who kept staring back at them as he walked away. Yeah, like just making sure. And um, she's forced with a series of tough decisions. You know, whether to kill this guy, and then the next tough one is whether to cross the bridge. Um, Jamie says it's a tough decision. 
take the bridge and risk being seen or cross the great water, you know, and, it, and nothing's happening. Anyone can see us on the bridge, but cross by water and the current could take us. Or I could escape down the river. Um, it, good luck. It's, she says, and he says, it's, it's wonderful to watch you wrestle with these dilemmas. So he's enjoying watch, watching her as a beginner, essentially, too, which is hilarious. So she chooses, chooses the bridge. They start walking over it. And he starts lamenting about things, and he's he's he he's talking about the corns on his feet, and he sort of like flops down on the side, <laughs> and he's sitting there, <laughs> which is a kind of funny moment. And so he starts ranting and raving, and I he never See, used to get corns. corns. I used to ride everywhere. <laughs> I used to ride everywhere though, not march around like a common foot soldier wearing the same shit boots for over a year. Year this heel is ruined, by the way. There's no way, and then. He moves in close and distracts her with this rambling that he's doing, which is getting more feverish as he's going to just to distract her. And he snags a sword from her scabbard and slices the rope that has him tethered in one smooth mov movement, which was really cool. And then he uh, he sort of starts tossing the, the blade back and forth between his hands and the ominous music starts building. And um, his hands are tied still. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, which is funny. He's still bound, and he uh, he says, "I never understood why some knights felt the need to carry two swords." And I thought this was a cool line because it sort of foreshadows us seeing Arthur Dane wielding two swords at the battle um, at the Tower of Joy in season six, mm -hmm. which was epic. Um, so and this it, is like, where it ends. It, this is where it begins. yeah yeah yeah. Oh. Uh, now it begins. <laughs> no, now it ends. Yeah, that's a great scene. So um, he starts uh, changing his his stance, his sword fighting stance, and he's he's it's, he goes through a series of tests here, testing how she reacts. Ooh, and he's impressed by the by how her stance um, adapts to his stance and the way that she reacts to him. She says, um, "You move well for a great beast of a woman." Um, and he's giving her tips. You shouldn't grimace before you lunge. Gives away the game, and attacks. And um, it's. I just thought it was a very interesting looking dance that they were doing, sort of going back and forth with the, the the changing of the stances and stuff like that. It was very, very interesting to watch. And um, then he he brings up sort of another oath-testing dilemma. It sort of reminded me of his speech to Cat, where he said, you know, when he was prisoner, he says, there's so many oaths, you know, protect the king, protect your father. Well, what if the father orders you to, what if the king orders you to kill your father, you know, et cetera? What if the king, you know, slays the innocent and you're sworn to protect the innocent? So he says, a bit of a quandary for you, you know, if you kill me, you fail Lady Stark. But if you don't kill me, I'm going to kill you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so, so she's got to decide... Go ahead. I was just going to say, it was so weird to me that they were even fighting because he wants to go home. She's taking him home. Yeah, I think that he also, like, he just wants to provoke her. Well, I thought the same too. thing. I thought he just wanted to to fight her. You know, he saw see how her take down three right. men. Yes. Right. He, yeah, and that, like, and that fits in perfectly, too, because like I said, he's testing her here. He wants to provoke her. He wants to, to, totally. to test her. He wants to experience, you know, what it is that she claims that she, you know, this, she's, she's supposed to be this big badass, right? Exactly. So she, he wants to test her. Um, mm -hmm. I agree 100%. And I think it plays out amazingly. So um, so he says, you're good. Graceless, but good. And as this, as he says this, <laughs> they're sort of like grinding their blades back and forth and like assert, attempting to assert dominant, a dominant like position over each other with the swords. 
Um, and it's, I just think it's like a fantastically choreographed display of technical, like a technical fight between expert swordsmen and swordswomen testing each other's capabilities and techniques. And it's just really cool. Like you don't see this type of sword fight ever, um, in, in productions like mm-hmm. this. So the way that their blades are <laughs> sliding mm-hmm. around to these different positions is really cool. And she starts to overpower him. Um, as she like knocks him back and he sort of stumbles down to see if you were willing to hurt me, you might've had me there. And he comes back and, and continues to try to attack her. And she, she keeps deflecting him. And with every successive volley, uh, she becomes more and more dominant and she relentlessly starts defeating him in every clash, pressing forward, unstoppably driving him backwards and downwards. And eventually even with one hand, forcing him to the ground and onto his knees and to submit as it's, it's just fantastic to watch. I think that her posture and precision um, while doing this and the expressions on Jamie's faces, like these two actors combined here and the, the directing of the choreography, it was just like an accomplishment. I think I like agree. It, it was really, really, really well done. They did a good and, job of making Jamie look really malnourished and small mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah. Not to just not to to detract from how powerful Brienne is. No, um, no, no, not at all. But I mean, just because you know, you hear for three seasons now how amazing Jamie Lannister is. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, locked up for six months or whatever, three, four months chained up and he's all atrophied and whatnot. Yeah, in the notes that I read, it was oh, it was supposed to be for over a year. He's been over a year. Okay. Not wow. insane. That's, that's crazy. Oh my god! Imagine the the bed sores would be brutal. That's that that's inhumane. Uh, it that's just as bad as kicking, taking his hand. You know, just taking someone who's used to that type of physical activity and just chaining him mm-hmm. up like that. So messed that was up. cool watching him volley the um the sword back into each of his hands. Like he was like, ooh yeah, yeah. ooh ha ah, yeah. Oh, he has <laughs> a sword finally <laughs> back in my hand. Right. Yeah. Do you? And the, <laughs> and the music is so ominous because, like you said, we've been hearing about mm-hmm. this legendary Jamie Lannister, like the golden lion, uh-huh. like the, the white lion who's just like the beast with a blade, the finest swordsman since Arthur Dane, you know, they say, essentially. So, yeah, it's super ominous as this very powerful woman is, you know, waiting to see what the fuck is going to happen now that <laughs> this this horrible guy with, the, with this prisoner, this awful, powerful dude now has a blade. And uh, it's wild to see how it plays out. I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And damn, I was fucking... Oh, I just thought um, of something. What? Um, what you got? Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's fine. Um, going back a couple of weeks in your guys' podcast, you had a... Um, like a section where um, you, you made a list of who would be candidates for Jamie, right? Uh, for uh, candidates for what specifically? Like, like who, exactly. who would be in his eye? I, th- I forget how it was. It was like oh, for be... the top three fighters, you said three people might have a chance of beating the yeah. Westeros. Yeah, and you guys had this whole list thing going on. Yeah, what you got ideas for that? Was Brienne on? That list? No, because it was not because it was in the context of him fighting Brienne. But he hadn't Um, met her yet. But uh, yeah, but I mean, she wouldn't be on the list anyway because he's talking to Brienne at that in that scene, right? I'm sorry, he was talking uh, to her. Of course, he met her. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so he wouldn't include her on the list because she was the uh, like the the target for the mm-hmm. list. I think, but um, I think you guys had a like your own lists going oh, on of speculating like of, who would be on it. Yeah, who would who would be on it, and then up until season eight, like who would be those candidates as well, knowing now what we know and who he's all encountered and stuff like that. And well, Barristan Selmy is number one. Barristan. And when I was right. um, listening to the podcast, I was trying to think of other people who could potentially be that. Um, mm-hmm. And I meant to comment on that episode's uh, comment section um, the next day when after I listened to it. And I was thinking like Loris Tyrell because... Yeah, he's supposed to be a really good swordsman he's too. He's like one of the best in the Seven Kingdoms. Well, he beat the mountain. Yeah, and according to the in, in jousting, at least though in the books, he's more hyped up, I guess. Yeah, um, he's way more hyped up in the books. I feel like he's like legendary in the books. That's a great point. He sort of mirrors Jamie in the way that Marjorie mirrors Cersei. You know, Marjorie's the younger, more beautiful queen who's up and coming, and and Loras is this up and coming fighter who's kind of like the Jamie, the brother sister duo that sort of mirrors the Lannister uh, combination, and they're both vying for power. They didn't give Loras enough to do. No, unfortunately, yeah. there's so much potential of that character that they didn't really touch. But I mean, you know, it could have been it worse. Yeah. yeah. You can only do so much. Um, I think that another interesting person who may come close to making that list, it could be Ned Stark. Because um, we mm-hmm. the times we yeah, do see Jamie interact with Ned, he uh, he is not sure where Ned stands, you know. He says there. They even say like Ned. Ned's like I don't want people to know what I can do, right? So Jamie doesn't know what he can do. He says, you know, and this list is this is a list of people who might have a chance. So theoretically, Ned could be there. And Although, he was super pissed well, when he put the spear through his leg. He was like, I wanted oh to God. fight him. Damn it! Right? Yeah. So that that argues that also um, just the Jamie's enthusiasm, the fact that he thinks that it would be a good fight. That leans towards the fact that Ned could be close to this list, at least, if not on it, mm-hmm. in terms of show context. He could be on it in terms of show context. Well, especially when you look at when you look at Rob and John and what they can do as swordsmen with right. the upbringing yeah. that they had. I mean, you know, you could make you could make a pretty solid argument that John Snow is probably the greatest warrior in Westeros as of right now, going into season eight. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, you can make that. I mean, he's a direct descendant of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, who is known for her physical prowess as well, right? So, I mean, he's got the he's got the the pedigree, and he's related to Ned, so <laughs> right. And raised raised by Ned Stark and trained by you know Mance Raider and Jor Mormont and I mean and he's you know. the one providing like the support position with all the kids too like keep your bow arm straight Bran yeah. right uh, but um, I, do all this stuff like he's the one that is like the uh, the like the like the um, like the he seems to be like the peak of the Stark kids like although he's off the side he seems to be like the best at everything you know well. He is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know how I feel about Jon Snow. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think he sucks, except for he doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, he's the best at everything except knowing stuff. Hey, he knows enough in a cave, Travis, Trevor. Okay, Trevor. <laughs> he knows the Lord's kiss, and that's good enough for Kristen. Listen, Trevor. Nobody asked you. <laughs> right. Oh, it's gonna be so hard for me to edit this out now. I'm gonna have to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be too much. You bastards. Um, <laughs> So, oh, uh, one last little note. Um, 
speaking of Loris, if you want to have an awesome like background on Loras Tyrell and other awesome stuff, read the books. There's, uh, there's some pretty badass stuff that Loras does. Without giving anything away, I can tell you that there is more Loras Tyrell in the books. Go read the so books. So badass. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's just hardcore in like a number of ways. Okay, so to wrap up my number two, um, they, they finish the fighting scene. Brienne knocks him to the floor um, in just super mega badass fashion, crushes him, and um, he looks up at her and is surprised to see her looking off in the distance, looks behind them, and um, what's this guy's name on the show? He rides up. I know Vargo. it's Vargo Houghton. Vargo. Oh, is, is that his name on the in the books or in the show? I think both. It's just that he doesn't have. He's a, a different weird character tongue. in the in the show from the books, right? No, his name's Locke on the show. Locke. Oh. Um, yeah. I hate so him. Locke, yeah, Locke shows up, and the, it turns out that that guy that Jamie had distrusted earlier was in fact um, going to narc on them, essentially. So you sure that's him? This is one that's him, all right. I saw him at the tourney for Sir William Frey's wedding. Give the man his silver. So they pay this guy some silver, send him on his way. And um, I guess Locke would rather that the king in the north would take Jamie's head than his. So they are captured and being brought to Heron Hall. And I have the same thing written down, too. I hate this fucker who captures Jamie and Brienne here. Um, yeah, Locke. He deserved to go to the wall. Oh, yeah, totally. And he's the right. oh man the, the the equivalent character in the books. Wow, yeah, oh, he's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, depraved. Who's the the other one who gets sent to the wall? Um, he drinks the blood from the skull. Oh uh, yeah yeah um, the guy yeah that's a guy's a great actor too. Carl Tanner is what the character is called. That that dude's just like creepy is like his just his voice in general. <laughs> yeah, he's like I I used to kill people on the streets of King's Landing. You know, like, yeah, that guy's fucking awesome. <laughs> Gnarly Assassin he uses a two the two daggers is like his signature right a style, right? I feel like him and Locke would be together yeah, they would up be there. A great <laughs> duo, yeah, for sure. They would have either fought to the death for who would have ruled or been, made a great team. Um, yeah, so that pretty much wraps up my number two. What about your uh, number one, Trev? Um, one last little thing. Do you think sure. that um, on your on your number two, uh, do you think that Jamie, you know, th- pretty much throwing himself down on the bridge and trying to fight him or fight her and all that kind of stuff, that that was that essentially was his fault for losing his hand because. <sighs> Oh. If they would have just kept walking, you know, and just gotten wow, past great that. point. Like, I was just thinking about that. Like, if they would have never encountered the... Unless um, they, the riders caught up, like, 100 yards later. Yeah. But, they, yeah, but they, I mean, weren't, they wouldn't have been on the bridge, though. Like, they were, like, a target, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they weren't... If the riders weren't planning on crossing the bridge before that moment, when they saw them, they definitely took a detour to the bridge. So, yeah, it's entirely possible that Jamie being a dick and provoking her in this moment, that his tendency to uh, to poke and prod and be antagonistic may have directly resulted in the, the loss of his hand by being captured here. Yeah, that's, that's wild. I, I hadn't even considered that before. It's a good point. What do you think, Kay? I agree. But yeah. I think that I, I was in the I hate Jamie camp during this part, <laughs> during this part yeah. of the series. Anyways, oh, yeah, right? Far. So you're like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah, you lost your hand. You're a dick. 
Yeah, although it was right after he saved her from being raped, so he was like he sort was of on his way on a yeah. redemption. He was redeeming arc. a little bit. Yeah, he was on his yeah. way. Bri- if not for Brienne, he would probably never have had his redemption arc. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, because I I also um, noted that the um, from now until season six um, to King's Landing in season seven that the character relationship between Jamie and Brienne has just evolved. Um, and I, I really liked just their whole story arc in general. And if it wasn't for Brienne, Jamie would be a totally different person. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I like it that they keep reuniting. Like we keep wanting like, you know, John and Arya or Sansa and Tyrion or just all these people to just reunite already. And, you know, Brienne and Jamie just keep finding each other. You know? Yeah, they were, River Run. Yeah, they were at River Landing. Run and then King's Landing and everything. And <laughs> it was just wonderful. You're like, oh there they are again. Yay. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Man. Oh, it's great. I think that the one takeaway from this scene um, is <laughs> is that that one image of Brienne cradling Jamie in her arms as they're like about to like kiss each other? It looks like I'm looking at a, a gif of it right now. It's fucking mm. crazy. I'm gonna like send it, it to you guys. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to talk about Audible. For you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I personally recommend getting a Game of Thrones, um, if you haven't read that already, because it is awesome. And The Long Night is in motion, so you guys have time to catch up on everything. Do it up. Check it out. You're going to love Audible. There's no obligation to spend any money. Tons of great books. They have over 180,000 books. And great, great narrators as well. Check it out at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash G-O-M, as in Game of Microphones. Back to the show. So, Travis, what is your number one? Yeah. Um, My number one is Wargs and Wolves. I knew it. <laughs> yep, you knew it. I knew it. Um, Fuck yeah. I prepared zero for this because I knew you had it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, we're getting a lot more backstory and more intel on um, Green Seers and Wargs and the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, we have Jojen showing up in Brand's dreams. Um I just really like the quote, uh, you can't kill it, you know, because the raven is you. Right. Um, yeah. What's up with that, man? Yeah. Well, I guess Jojen just already knew that he was going to be the three-eyed raven. <laughs> well, not only that, but there's been speculation that the old man under the tree is Bran, right? So if that old man under the tree is at this point the three-eyed raven that's contacting Bran to draw him towards the wall, and Jojen is saying that you can't kill the three-eyed raven because it's you, then does that mean that Bran is the old man? Right. We're like, starting <laughs> to enter into... Um, time warping uh territory here yeah wait, wait. it's just <laughs> bran is the old man okay i want you to say that sentence again because this is one of the most this is this is one of the concepts that i keep going around in circles on like i can stay up all night thinking like thinking myself into a 
into a box. So yeah. <laughs> say, say that again. So it, it just like um, they don't know right, that so we know Jojen that they know says, that he knows. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Jojen says that the three eyed raven. You can't kill the three eyed raven because it's you. Right. But if if that three eyed raven is the three eyed raven from the from the north right now, the old man contacting Bran in his dreams to uh-huh. draw him to the north. Uh huh. Then that would mean that that Bran is the old man if that's the three-eyed raven that's contacting him and and Jojen is telling him that he's that three-eyed raven. So it's like us him telling us this before we even know that that character exists. Which makes sense because we never really see we don't see the three-eyed raven die. We see him kind of like disappear into you know. Yeah, well, black. I don't know. I think he I think he died. We see the we see the uh, the uh, the Night King like swipe at his undefended body, and then it cuts to him dying inside the inside the vision. But right? that's what I'm saying is like he disappears into like that black mist, you know. Right. So you right. don't really see him like physically die. So where does he really exist? You I, know, I think that it was what just is like Bran his... seeing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Does questions. that black mist? Does that black mist that you know we see kind of dissipate from the old man? Does that just get sucked into Bran's body? I think <laughs> that that's the end of the essence of this character. So Bran would exist currently, and then that future him would be like I guess he traveled back in time somehow. And but then there's the then there's a theory of Bran is Bran is Bran is Bran and Bran has always right, been every Bran. Bran. Right, the all brand theory. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a cool the, one too. Uh, um, what was that one about? Oh, how does it go? Jojen knew what he was going into at this point in time as well. Like he already knew right. of his death, and then the same kind of goes for Hodor if he knew about the the whole door scene. Oh, right. Well, that's my whole thing is that if if Hodor ever every single time we see Hodor start to freak out, right? Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. And then Bran has to warg into Hodor to get him to like function as a human being. Mm-hmm. I think that that's because Bran, because Hodor thinks that this is when he has to like <coughs> do his duty. Yeah. Right. Which is why he's freaking out. So that's an interesting interesting idea. Like, he knows of his ultimate fate, but he doesn't know when it's going to happen. So he, he has these moments where he's like, oh, God, is it going to happen? And he starts freaking out, going, Hodor, Hodor. And Bran has to take him and get him under control again. Hmm. I think that, yeah, they 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 created, like, this subconscious connection between Hodor and the Thread Raven here. Right at the part where you said, you can't kill it, you know. Why not? Because the raven is you. And right then he wakes up and like, ah, like kind of like freaks out. And Hodor, <laughs> Hodor like dips under the tent. Hodor? It's Hodor. all right, Hodor. It's all right, Hodor, you know, and Hodor. Hodor. But he, Hodor's freaked out. And so like the, the, the fear and anxiety of Hodor in tandem with the, like the first time we sort of get any insight of that the three-eyed raven is like a thing, like a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's telling us that Hodor is connected to the three-eyed raven, and it's like foreshadowing that he's brand. important. It's connected yeah. to Bran, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was this pretty cool. This is just a crazy time-jumping, mind-bending <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of time-jumping, Jojen also mentions um, that, you know, he, he's they're talking about how um, their father is Howland Reed, and that Howland Reed had saved Ned during Robert's rebellion. Oh, I was thinking of this too. And, Anyways, um, go on. 
Yeah, he says, yeah, he said, he saved my father's life during the rebellion. Your father told you about the rebellion? Mine never did, but I saw that too. So Jojen says that he saw Howland Reed saving Ned's life during the rebellion. I can only assume that they're talking about the Tower of Joy. Right. Um, so that means that Three-Eyed Raven had already shown this to, to, to Jojen, and Jojen understands, like, he probably knows who John is. He probably knows that where they're going, what they're doing. And it hit me that this is super important. It has to be the Reeds that, that meet jo- Bran here. It has to be them that go forward with this because in order to prove John's lineage, they will need A, Bran with the timeline knowledge, B, a Reed to to corroborate the report that John was recovered from the Tower of Joy, and right. C, um, Sam's Sam. knowledge from the Citadel about the Rhaegar Lyanna yeah, marriage. Yeah, but Howland Reed is still alive. Exactly. So I think that the introduction of the Reeds leads us to eventually Howland showing up with his knowledge from the Tower of Joy. I need this to happen, like, right now. Right. right. <laughs> I need to know? see Howland Reed. And yeah, this, I was going to say, uh, has... Does anybody know what Helen Reed is doing in the show? Like, why haven't we seen him? <laughs> He's at Greywater Watch just crawling out. Yeah, yeah. He just um, that's out. what Mira says. He I think that he's, he's at Greywater Watch. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just chilling. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be interesting. I think that Brandon Reed or Bran, um, sorry, <laughs> Jojen and Mira were showed up because they are integral to the the future in in um first the future introduction of Howland and the idea that um they're going to need to help corroborate John's uh, lineage if that even happens mm-hmm. I mean that maybe maybe it won't even be a thing but this is definitely setting it up at least yeah you know principle and continue Trav sorry to interrupt you there and in the next episode see I thought it was going to happen in season 7 but I guess not um, in season eight, I'm real like you were saying, Kristen. I'm really hoping that we get to see Howland Reed because, yeah, I mean, for one, we haven't seen him at all in the show, and you would think that the King in the North would, um, you know, he summoned all of the Northerners, pledge like, his yeah his his lords to pledge fealty. Yeah, and Some it's like lords. Ned Stark's like one of his trusted like. People, you know, Howland, Howland Reed, like, come on, like, you, it would make sense that Howland would come to Winterfell, you know, or something. Yeah, Jojen says, Jojen says when he told Howland about Ned's death, it's the first time in his life they saw his father cry. cry. Yeah, Howland Reed. So that shows you, like, there is some like big connection, something really important with Ned Stark mm-hmm. and Howland Reed. And it in, they're <laughs> brothers. It involves John, you know, for sure. They're basically brothers, but like they, you know, they have to be with if if Howland knows the truth, that that makes him. Like, yeah, but that's <laughs> a delicate truth. It's it's yeah. a delicate thing to know when when the right time would be to tell to reveal that truth. And as they're claiming Jon Snow to be king in the north, that's probably not the right time. Yeah. So even if he was there, and we just don't well, know, he's it. already established as the king of the, at the king of the north. You know what time, I'm saying? Right? Like it, even if he was there when he called all of all of his bannermen or whatever. Oh, that wouldn't have been the yeah, right time. No. That wouldn't yeah. have been the right time for him to we be like. Have I'm Howland Reed, then. right? But it would still make sense yeah. for him to form a, um, even if he's not telling John about his true heritage and all that kind of stuff. Being where the north is as of after they take back. Sorry, after they ta- take back uh, Winterfell 
and he's calling all the northerners and assembling everybody even if Howland Reed isn't going to tell John about his true heritage, it still seems like a time, well, at least to me, it seems like a time that he should Can at least make up? a connection with John, you know, like come and see Maybe him. Maybe he's ill or something. Or yeah, if he's sick or something, who yeah, knows? Yeah, there's a rumor that he's just injured, mm. that he can't travel. Really? Mm-hmm. Or are you just saying I've, that? No, I've heard, I've... <laughs> I wish. No, I've oh, I heard that. I wish me. I was that creative. I'm not that creative. <laughs> <laughs> I I hear things, then I say things, and that's I what I do. Things. Then I drink. Nice. I drink and I say things. <laughs> you drink and say things. <laughs> Kristen, <laughs> she has a bunch of little uh, birds and a web. She hears I things. Do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Classic. I love any episode that we get to see the wolves. Um, mm. and I like seeing the special effects go into them and how it's been changing. Cause now we're at the point where the dire wolves are CG'd. Um, they're not the, um, Northern Inuit Huskies. pups that they used for the show. Right. So now we're seeing very large dire wolves. Um, they're getting screen time, um, and just, you know, in this yeah, they, episode... They blow them up and then they slow them down. Yeah. 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 And we got to see, you know, Bran is like, don't worry, they'll protect him uh, when... Um, oh, why am I spacing his name? Recon. Uh, when he's not serpentining out into the field uh, <laughs> <laughs> to go play. Um, just running a straight yeah, line. Yeah, he's just doing it there, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah true he totally just did ran right yeah. out that's foreshadowing <laughs> and, uh, the wolves will protect him and then in the future scene no the wolf has lost his head already yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just run straight anyway Rickon but yeah so we get to see you know and then we get to see Bran just kind of like nod and then Summer goes with him um, we get to see Grey Wind with for like a brief second when all of the troops are marching through the woods on their way to Ooh. River Run. Um, so I just like to see the different colors that they're kind of blending into these wolves. Oh yeah! And then the whole scene with Jojen and Summer—that was, you know, when I first watched this, I was like, "Oh my god, this kid is just walking up to this dire wolf that's like snarling at him," and he's just like, "Yeah, how must crazy be is Summer. that?" <laughs> that defensive, aggressive posture was crazy. Right. That wolf looked hardcore. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like, you must be summer. Just so casual about it. Yeah. And then even with um, with uh, Osha's spear to the back of his neck, he's just so zen. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I'm unarmed. She's like, oh, that was stupid. He's like, no, my sister carries the knife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just so casual. Um, but we got to see. She's like, it's true, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we got to see the the size comparison uh, um, evolve, like looking at Summer right next to Jojen, like facing each one another. Huge, huge, yeah. Uh, then he just lopes off. There goes my notes. <laughs> that was crazy too. How like how chill Summer got when when he walked up and outreached his hand, and he just like went from that aggressive growl to just like being totally relaxed. And I think Bran was like, "What the fuck just happened?" Right. And it we Jojen can't like warg either. It's just they they must just have this connection by being like by seeing each other in the dreams and stuff like that or something. Right or connected. He must know that he's connected to Bran somehow. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Animals he can, figures out animals that he can, can warg with them. like that. I don't know. I don't know about dire wolves, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think that was it for my number one. Um, you guys have oh, any right. any other input on warging and? Yeah, actually, um, oh, there was. Sorry, sorry. One more thing. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Duncan. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, I saw it in my little section here. So we get two wargs in one episode. We get to see Orel as well with his eagle, right? And then John's like. What what's this? What's he doing? You know, he's like, oh, you've never seen a warg before. And then a few minutes yeah, that was ago, cool. this we, is our first time that wargs are defined. Yeah, and in, in one episode, Bran finds out what a warg is, and John finds out what a warg is. I just thought that was kind of, um, I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Did did you notice how we were, uh, the existence of wargs was eluded to before it was actually revealed um, in terms of being defined by or- Orel and uh, Mance too? Did you guys pick yeah. up on that with Osha? Yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. They're talking about how they needed to. They were sitting there and they're like sort of camped out in the middle of this field and they're cooking or whatever. And Osha all of a sudden hears a bird of prey off in the distance, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, and she's like, oh, we got to get out of here. We don't know who's watching. And it's because she is a wildling. She knows about, she, like, she might know Aurel personally, if, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So she hears the bird. She thinks of wargs. And she's like, shit, they could be flying around watching us. We're not the only wildlings south of the wall um, at this point, you know. So um, she gets freaked out by that. And then later on, we do see Aurel with his eagle, right? So that I wrote down, ooh, like that's kind of foreshadowing him being introduced in the same episode. So I thought that was kind of cool. Wasn't there a warg? Maybe it was in the books. A warg who was beyond the wall as well, and he had... Um, Varamir six skins? Yep, that one. Uh, yeah, a bunch he of... controls a cave bear and um, like couple shadow cats mm-hmm. and uh, various uh yeah various uh creatures and stuff and the, the bear hates him every time <laughs> he slips into his skin the bear rages we got a character perspective chapter yeah it's the right? prologue of book five he, okay. it, it may be very important for uh for book six right um, i don't want to get into it because it's kind of for spoilery sure. for, for, sure. the, for the show but yeah if well, you're interested about in wargs in the books uh, oh my god yeah. book takes yeah. it to new, ne- new levels yeah yeah definitely El Hydra <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, what about your number one Kristen uh, yeah, my go. number one is little it's uh, it's basically uh, is it Tyrion no <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's actually foreshadowing with John uh, so there's two things that happen with John that one of which we've talked about a little bit with Catelyn and talking about um, his survival through the very long night. Yeah. Um, kind of a protection wreath over him and just uh, that aspect of it. But then when you go over to, you know, it cuts to the it cuts from that scene immediately over to what John is up to and him and Mance are walking along and um, Mance just stops and tells him, uh, starts to advise him a little bit. And he's like, mm-hmm. do you know how hard it is to unite the wildling people? <laughs> My army speaks seven languages. <laughs> well, and what's great you know what is, that, <laughs> is that John ends up picking up that torch and completing that task for man. Right. He joins he that unites, whole army with the South. <laughs> but yeah, he he united the wildlings with the North. Which is yeah, like an extrapolation. Least, which, is, which is 
you know, known to be impossible. Right. And, you know, John's like, you know, what did you tell them? And, and Mance says, well, I told him we're all going to die if we don't get South. That's the truth. Yeah. And and then continuing that torch, he went to treat with Cersei and Daenerys to join all these factions as well. So now he's got the speech from Mance Raider and from, uh, the Lord Jorah. Commander, he's got yeah. now. Now he can put both of those speeches together into his little yep. Jon Snow speech. Now he knows he that he fights for the living. Regurgitates, right? He fights for the living. They're all going to die if they don't get south. Okay, great. So he's got the North on board. Then he gets uh, Dragonstone on board, which means that you know he's got. Uh, the Greyjoys on board, kind of, <laughs> not really, you know, so he's trying to unite now. I mean, it's funny because he probably thought that his biggest thing was going to be uniting the wildlings south of the wall with with uh, Westeros. But right. I don't think I think he spent so much time at the wall and beyond the wall that he didn't realize that uniting Westeros was probably going to be harder. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, as if what, uniting the wildlings with the, the northerner, you know, the, the northern kingdom. Well, like, all enough. you have to do is tell the wildlings, hey, man, you're going to die. Let's just do this, okay? Well, you, you got to do, do that, like but then you living? also have to, you have to convince the, the, the people south of the wall to allow the, 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 the um, wildlings to come through, too, and they're terrified of them. Right. Like, you know, propagandized against them for oh, centuries. Abs- right, absolutely. <laughs> so but it's at like the same a lot time, of conditioning for both sides. You know, they brought a white to Cersei and she still was like, meh, fuck you. Yeah. What did he yeah. say? There is only one war that matters, the Great War, and it is right. here. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And uniting the, the Seven Kingdoms war. is harder. I've been to battle. <laughs> what was battle. that? Battle. <laughs> battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so it's little, but it's just, you know, this tiny little bit. We get these little bits of foreshadowing with John that, you know, unless we're going back to watch again, it's like, wow, they really dropped us a nice little breadcrumb path here the entire time, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, so that it's nice when you can pick up on those. So that was my number For one. Sure. Very little. Nice. My number one is the intro of the Brotherhood Without Banners. Cool. Which was fun, man. I'm not going um, with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so funny. The, the scene starts off with Gendry trying to understand Arya's choices of people that she had Jock and kill. And I think this is really funny because <laughs> it's sort laughing. of like a... Yeah, it's like a bit of meta commentary for people who are familiar with the story already, who have like read the books, who are sitting there saying, like, why didn't Arya just have him kill Tywin and kill Cersei and kill Joffrey? Right. And just do that. Like, she could have just done that. So this is like sort of <laughs> Gendry is, is, is speaking for the viewers here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gendry is like They're, us, basically, like you said. So that was really funny. And, um, I, I I was I would have been more curious as how she tricked him into killing more than three people. That's fucking. That's what I want to know. <laughs> so that's cool. So they're going on talking about this whole thing. Um, they they're they're always having funny discussions, right? So Arya's telling Hot Pie like he, he's like maybe we missed the Red Fork River. He's just like it's a hundred feet wide. How can we miss it, Hot Pie? You know, <laughs> like wake up, dude. Get your head out of the uh, the pastries. You notice that <laughs> Hot Pie was just dragging his sword through the forest. <laughs> yeah. Making all Very the noise like. possible. 
dragging along. That's hilarious. Such I didn't a liability. Really that. Now that you mention it, uh, yeah. Oh, total liability. So, um, so there, she's uh, saying, you know, we we hit the Red Fork. We can follow it west to River Run. My grandfather's a lord. He'll protect us. She doesn't know he just died. So that's two mentions of Hoster Tully in this episode, which is pretty funny. Um, uh, so then the, uh, she, they hear someone singing hot pie thinks it's a minstrel and he's so, he's such a, he's such a hot pie. You know, he's like, we could jump him, tie him up, steal his gold and buy some food, you know? And it's like, well, where are you going to get the rope, dude? You're talking about tying him up. What do you got some rope hidden inside that cheeseburger locker, buddy? <laughs> um, for a trailer park boys reference, uh, second one in this episode, um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just thought that was really funny. He's like just so out there. Like I don't know if I don't think they have any rope or anything on them. So he's just talking out of his ass like he always does. Right. Kick him in the balls till they're dead. Right, hot pie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, <laughs> they they're doing their thing. Uh, Arya's peering out through the rocks, and then an arrow flies right through the rocks, and she's like, "Oh snap!" And that was a real precise shot. And it's uh, our boy Thoris of Mir. With Angai the Archer and some of the Brotherhood Without Banners who approach, mm-hmm. and uh, they say, "Who's there?" Basically, and Arya jumps out first, and uh, it's so funny, man. Put the sword down, girl. <laughs> and like I was saying before, you go on down the road, keep singing so we know where you are. Leave us be, and I won't kill you. <laughs> which is I like hilarious. That twice in an episode, she like threatens to fight him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, as if he like the second time she had some more credibility. Um, so he he replies in hilarious fashion. He has some great uh, lines here, and there was another line which I thought was funny too. As they're approaching, where someone says, "Oh, what's that lurking behind the wall? A lion? A wolf?" And someone says, "Just a dirty little cub, I think." So that was good. So he responds to her threats, saying, "Generous, you're a dangerous person." I like dangerous people, you know, so that was really cool. You're a dangerous person. He's so funny, man. So he uh, he's like, you know, why are your friends so shy, little girl? The fat one and the guy, the lad beside him. So they pop out and uh, Gendry drags Hot Pie out with him. And then he like sort of spins his sword trying to look badass, which results in uh, Thoris laughing. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> and he sort of like aggressively jumps down towards them and they all sort of back up and scatter and. And guy jumps around the side and another guy, they sort of enclose on them and um, they, you know, Thoros is smart. He figures out based on little clues that they've escaped from Harrenhal, Castle Forge, steel, um, little things like that tipped them off. And so um, they are asking who they're from, who they are. And he says that they're with he, you know, doesn't he straight up tells him his name. I'm Thoros of Mir. Um, the fellow with the bow is Angai. They say that they're with the Brotherhood Without Banners, which freaks out Hot Pie because that's who the mountain was looking for. And he tells them um, they've got nothing to fear from us. You know, you guys you know, don't have to fear us. The lords of Westeros want to burn the, country, burn the countryside, but we're trying to save it. You know, and it's truth. And this is great because it's two times the same episode where we have a Stark girl making a connection with somebody trustworthy that she can actually rely on that isn't trying to like manipulate her in a negative way or use her for some purpose, at least, you know, at first. So, um, they, they, it turns out that these guys are actually good. She's like, they're like, come on, we'll, we'll talk more over some, some brown bread and stew. And man, that's hella nice. You know, like these fucking strangers, they could just rob them and kill them. You know, <laughs> most people probably would, but, <laughs> but they want to, you know, feed them. Uh, so that's pretty badass. 
And even 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 that offer of food wasn't enough to lure Hot Pie, though. He starts backing off. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's when when they start making, making threats. And he says, here's the thing. Oh, he's, he's, he sort of signals to Angai, who launches the arrow. Here's the thing, fat boy. When I'm done, that arrow is falling right down in your head. And I advise you move because I'm done talking. And uh, he steps out of the way, and that arrow drops right where he was standing, which is so cool. A really cool, uh, like, just display of how precise he is because he's not, that's not even, not even the direction he's shooting in. He's shooting up and it's, his aim is precise on the return, which is wild. <laughs> right. Um, crazy. When I'm done talking. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and he's got it all timed out already. Um, so then, and there's another funny line too is, uh, half the country's starving and look at this one. And Thoreau says, <laughs> maybe, maybe he's, he's the <laughs> reason half the, <laughs> half the country's starving. Yeah. So then Arya's chilling at, with the Brotherhood Without Banners at the tavern, and um, they're you know talking about all the stuff, and Thoros continues with his funny lines about suffering through bouts of sobriety, um, which is so funny, and he says, now, how did three children, asking about Hall and Arya says, we're not children, right? So he corrects himself. How did three young persons, such as yourselves, <laughs> untrained in the art of war, escape from Hall? Perceptive question, uh, good fellow. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then it turns out that um, all of a sudden, after the sword fight, which Syria would have been a little disappointed about, um, <laughs> something happens. And um, it, it turns out that, you know, they're going to let him go, which is super cool. These guys are like, you know, legit people. They got super lucky. They got fed. They got a good meal. He says, make sure, you know, you guys can finish your meals before you go. It might be a while before you get another. And he's like, she's like, you'll free us? And so he replies, you know, like, we, I gave you my word. Uh, so that's awesome. They met some cool people. But before you go, allow me to raise a cup to your... And right as he's given the speech, the doors kind of open and Angai is leading in this massive prisoner. But what now, was his toast going to be? <laughs> it, do you have a speculation? I'm just or, saying, what was it going to be? Was he going to convince them to stay? Was he? Did he have something, you know, funny to say? Was it something stupid? Like, I think he was going to say, "Let me raise a cup to your ingenuity and like no way capability to escape Heron Hall or something." You think he was going to use it to manipulate him? Like he had I something think planned? So. Well, he ended up getting them and selling Gendry, so yeah. But that's I only do. because of what he finds <laughs> out in the next moment. Well, That's I That's only because the hound reveals maybe. her her identity, All right? So, so we uh, the hound gets brought in, and she's she, he's unveiled, unmasked, uh, which is great. It reminded me of this time in high school where I, on Halloween I dressed up like a chicken, big ass chicken, and my friend dressed up like a big gorilla. And during lunchtime, we ran into the get the cafeteria and just started fist fighting in front of oh everybody. And like, Wait, you actually big, did this? Yeah, and <laughs> oh, that video. <laughs> So we start That's fist so fighting. And I like slam him against the wall, and the teachers and clothes to like try to subdue us. And I jump up on top of like the tables and start flapping my wings and running to escape the cafeteria. And I escape, but we have it on video. And my friend Nelson got demasked, and it was just <laughs> the prince of vice principal gets him and pulls his his mask off, and everyone's like, "Oh!" You know, it reminded me of this scene because the hound gets demasked right in front of everybody. And is revealed that it's the hound, and Arya freaks out and like turns away and starts to like sort of hide. And she's like, "We gotta go." And so she like grabs him and starts leading him out. They and right at the last out moment, there. yeah, they're almost out. Right at the threshold, and um, the hound girl, you know, he, he like basically says, "What the fuck are you doing with the Stark bitch?" Right. <laughs> um, 
and reveals to um, to the Brotherhood that it is Arya Stark. Oh man, it's fucking wild. Um, what in seven hells are you doing with this Stark bitch? And I thought this was funny because it's mirrors Littlefinger who figured out who she was and kept his fucking mouth shut. And the hound mm-hmm. starts barking right off, right off the bat. You know, Littlefinger's all about secrecy and operating in quiet and stealth, right? So it made sense for him to keep that information to himself. But mm-hmm. the hound just starts barking immediately. What the fuck are you doing with that? The Stark bitch, right? And, it, and immediately for Thoros... Every bit of experience that he had with Arya through the, throughout this whole episode clicks into place and makes sense. And you can see it as he jerks his head towards Arya and realizes that this is a little lady, a lord, you know, a lady talking to me. She wanted a sword fight. She's running this crew. She's all this stuff. Like, obviously, this is Arya Stark. And it just, like, hits him. And that's when he realizes what, what they have in their possession. And they decide to use her as leverage to try to sell her, essentially, for ransom to fund their uh, crusade, essentially. But I thought that was really well-organized scene again. Arya's expression when she's cowed by Thoros, who immediately knocks her sword out of her hand. When she sits back down, she's got this sort of, like, like just beaten expression on her face, which is beautiful. Um, it's so good. I like Thoros' has got another great line. Not a man at all! A hound! As the hound is revealed. <laughs> that is a very <laughs> large man. Yeah, Th- Thoros, the fuck are you doing here? Drinking and talking too much, same as ever. <laughs> That's great. I like that, uh, you know, the Hound is brought in as a prisoner with, with yeah. the Brotherhood. And then a couple of years down the line, he essentially becomes one of them. Part of and him, yeah. Him and Thoros and Beric are like off beyond the wall, like something yeah, like you would have at this point in time never even thought of would be with Gendry. With yeah. Gendry, yeah, who they like sold? Who they sold? Who they sold? Yeah, who beyond they the sold? <laughs> like you just don't like at this point in time. If you hadn't seen any of the other seasons, you would have never, you would never have, <laughs> and Jorah Mormont. Yeah, yeah Jorah Mormont. Yeah, all and these eventually people. Danny. Yeah, and eventually Daenerys. Like you would never have and thought Benjamin that these. <laughs> yeah, and Benjamin Stark. Like if you would have told me, like past Travis, like who first watched this episode whenever it aired first, past all Travis. of that, I would have thought that you were a crazy like fan, like fan you're over there writing fan that fiction. That would have you know? been one of those crazy yeah. theories where people would have been like, dude, you are insane. You're you're thinking a little too much here, buddy. Yeah, you're kind of crazy. Also, why do you look like me? And (laughs) (laughs) time traveling, like, what's going on? (laughs) You are the Three-Eyed Raven. (laughs) I mean, Hodor. Yeah. (laughs) Anybody got anything else to add to that scene or uh, the Brotherhood Without Banner stuff or any other notes you guys want to talk about? Some other notes. Rose singing Reigns of Castamere. We kind of mentioned that. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, so I had a thought about that. I thought he was singing Reigns of Castamere because they wanted to kill Lannisters and he knew that that oh, was a way to get yeah, them. Yeah, and that's what they say right off the bat, too. Is it a lion? Yeah. A oh, and then Just yeah, a dirty he cub. did make that point. Is it a lion? That's so funny. <laughs> that's great. Um, that was my I, only I note know, that uh, I haven't talked about. Oh, nice. Um, there is, during the oh. conversation with between Talisa, Talisa and Rob... 
she was talking about grim, bearded, stinking barbarians and um, how now she marries the king of the grim, stinking, bearded barbarians. And I, something during that scene triggered me to write down that I want to know more about her history. Um, I was kind of wondering too bad that, I never too. Will. Like, like, I want to know like what she her real history, history is. Um, oh, yeah. you know what? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just filling a dead air. <laughs> Um, I had a thought about the Boltons and when and why they uh, revol- uh, defected. So, okay, that's a good uh, one. So you see that um, the Boltons are about to get Jamie Lannister and Roose Bolton knows now that Rob and Talissa have married and that means that he's probably going to lose the war as Karstark oh, said. Oh, and he was not stoked about it. So, so I think, think that, that he, saw, he saw that he had a really good uh, thing to offer Tywin Lannister. Say, yeah, hey, he I have to, your son. You had to get uh, on the winning side. Yeah, I'll go to your side. Um, you know, and I have, you know, I have, I'm very high up in Rob Stark's army, so I think that that was kind of like Jamie was the final piece to that. Defe- yeah, definitely defection. Yeah, I think you probably nailed it there. That's pretty good. Good job. Um, we also didn't talk about Theon at all this episode. Oh, because um, I can't. Strapped to a big Bolton X. Wait, didn't I? Uh, like on their on banners, there. we had a listener point that out, which is yeah, we good see Ramsey for the first time. Creepy Ramsey lurking like a uh, sweeper in the corner. Uh, it's so much more disturbing when you know who he really is, that mm-hmm. this is all orchestrated in advance and that everybody that works for him is playing along with it. Like, it's so disturbing and twisted. Right. They're wearing ironborn gear and yeah. has no idea where he is. <laughs> I made a note yeah. about that. Oh, they're wearing ironborn gear? Mm-hmm. Some of them. That. Some of them were. What was your note, Trev? Um... It kind of I, it got mixed in with some of the Bruce Bolton delivering plans section that I mentioned earlier, so I kind of skipped over this with my eyes here. Um, Rob, uh, what point was that? He when he first gets the um, the one of one of the two um, ravens um, delivering uh, delivering their uh, little I guess bad news. <laughs> per se. Um, He mentions that Bolton's bastard got to Winterfell and it was in ruins. And then the scene, and then right there, um, the scene changes to Theon on an X with the flayed man on the the X cross. And so it was a lie. Yeah. yeah, And I never, like my first, it's a good transition. Yeah. It it was like from Theon and then boom, Theon's. Yeah. it, It was like, you know, he he says that the Bolton's Bolton's bastard got to Winterfell and it was in ruins, and then it just cuts to Theon. So in my first watch, when I first saw this years ago, I never in my head put it together that when he was going through that whole torture of like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? We should have known like right then and there. That it was the flayed men, or at least I should have. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever caught that, like right off the bat. Um, yeah, it, I didn't really, yeah, make the connection based on the on the uh, the, the location change mm-hmm. there and the scene change. It's definitely kind of hinting at it. It seems. Yeah, and I didn't read the. So I read the first book. I mean, way 
back in the day and then I never got past it. And then I watched the show and then I caught up and the first live episode I watched was um, Battle of Blackwater. So at that point, when I was watching season three, I still hadn't read the book. So I wasn't I was just going in it blind, you know. Um, Yeah. So I it wasn't until pick up on it. I don't think I finished all the books until you didn't have the sigils emblazoned under your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have I mean, besides the first book. But I mean, you don't Bolton flayed man on an X. Yeah. You should just know. And like there's a flayed man on a cross right there. The Boltons are over here with the Starks, and he just said it was in ruins, and yet here's... And Theon just mag- got taken out by who knows who. They're, you know, his speech was cut short. Mm-hmm. Like, So at this point, like, most viewers are thinking it's some third party, like an unknown force that's captured Theon, sacked Winterfell before the Boltons got there. Right. Oh, do we learn that that's not the case? And if you watch... if Like, you'd have to watch that episode a few times... And like be paying close attention and know all the house um house banners or sigils, sigils and everything, yeah. And yeah, to be able to piece that together. But it was just carefully planning on the, the creator's part, which I, I liked. Yeah, it was, it was well done. We also got to see um Joffrey getting fitted for an outfit in this episode. An and we outfit. got to Yeah. Yeah. Um he got to reiterate his hatred for flowers. Um <laughs> So that was pretty funny. Um, he, we, you know, like last season or whatever, he remade the, uh, the the throne room to get rid of all the flowers and the pillars and stuff. So he just hates flowers, man. But he's ma- about to marry a flower, so that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, right? Right. I wrote down, because um, we didn't really talk about it yet, um, uh, the whole scene with Rast and Sam. Um Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really short, really short. Um, that guy's a dick, too. Yeah, huh? and he was just, like, the whole time being, like, this bully. And this season, Sam is just still in the weak version of Sam. Um, yeah. Doesn't really have, uh, I guess, courage yet. Yeah, I liked uh, what Mormont said to him, like, I don't, you are not authorized to die, Tarly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just yeah. puts Rast in it's his place. It's not within your purview. He's like, if he dies, you die. <laughs> yeah, that was great. If he doesn't make it back, you don't make it back. Bitch. I love Dollar said in that scene. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you're, you're fat, fat and slow. And slow. We didn't want to die. I didn't want to die. It doesn't mean we don't like you. Ren, Ren just die. looks at him and he's like, yeah, he's I like, said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a beautiful <laughs> moment because Dollar said is so, like, he's always got something funny to say, too. So it's, it's just like a perfect line for I him. I love and, him. Right. Yeah. Gren it, is, great. um, I've always felt Fun of boy. him as kind of like the hero type as well. Um, totally. Because, you know... Uh, he ends up a hero. He ends up a sure. hero. Like, you know, he holds the gate. At he least never gives up. Defends the weak. I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, yeah. What a moment that I is, I love too. that mm-hmm. scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are the Coming sword up. in the darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, Gren just goes back so and we, he, you know, he's the first one to just turn back and go help Sam. So, you know, he's just generally a honorable good guy and i think it's because he yeah it even looked like rast for a moment like considered like changing his attitude for a second he glanced back and saw sam and then seemed to hesitate just for a split second mm-hmm. before he continued to move forward right and i think what a dick I continuing to argue Gren against is, too. um he, he 
you know, he's friends with John, and he knows that John and Sam are friends for one, and two, I think he's trying to be, you know, he looks up to John, so I think he's trying to oh, be kind of like crush. him in a way. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, we got to see Rickard Karstark this episode, too, who we've seen before, but this episode we got our first hint that he may go AWOL, or not AWOL, but that he might betray Rob right? Um, as he is discussing how, you know, he he's still with the cause if the cause is revenge, um, and he decides to murder those Lannister um, cousins, the little kids, which ends up really screwing up the, the whole war effort. Because Rob kills him, and then the the Karstarks defect, and it diminishes the size of his army, and just makes him for sure get uh, you know outnumbered at the Red Wedding and whatnot. So that was interesting. Um, oh, I have a quote. Is there an idiot in any village who trusts Littlefinger? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good and line too. I started thinking about Tyrion. that. And I'm like, okay, who trusted Littlefinger? Well. Ned Stark, Robin of Aaron, <laughs> like every year. Robin Aaron, too, Robin yeah. Aaron, Ned Stark, um, Liza Aaron, Liza, all these yeah. people Ned who are never, never, Ned never trusted him. Fully trusted. He said him, yeah. so. Yeah. He the just, smartest thing you've done he was since just getting here is not trusting me. To think me. that he would honor that Littlefinger would honor, honor Catelyn. Yeah, and Catelyn. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he trusted him to uh, have his back at the throne room scene. Yeah. Right? So yeah. He did trust him to some extent. <laughs> trusted that he would back his mo his move. Um, it's fucked up. Uh, yeah. I just like um, Tyrion. So yeah, that Sam scene was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal too. Uh, we had we had this moment where you know Arya or uh, Sansa felt like you know nobody cared about her and that she wasn't loved or appreciated at all in King's Landing, and it was sad. When she and it was good when she finally broke down and made a connection. This episode, sort of sad. This moment, this episode too, with uh, Sam, who doesn't feel loved or needed, and when he pitifully says, "You left me when the White Walkers came. You left me," and it reminded me of Jurassic Park. Remember? He left us. He <laughs> <Yeah>. left us. <laughs> Have you tried exactly. waving he a even uh, says, torch? You left me twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't move. The whites can't see you. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> <laughs> that's great oh man so uh, yeah that was pretty funny um rast keeps calling him piggy and everything mm -hmm. uh, i never rast noticed sucks. during this scene before the beautiful river that's flowing in the background as they're yeah i wrote down the scenery isn't frozen um i love um, all the scenery beyond cool. the wall so yeah and the the river is important in the books too it's like a big like landmark mm -hmm. that they use and it appears in certain visions and stuff um so yeah, that's cool that they have the river there. It's like a nod to the books. Um, let's see, uh, oh. Shay called Tyrion my lion. Mm -hmm. uh, they, that was funny how she got all jelly about Roz too. Um, <laughs> what about uh, Jamie trying to buy the Boltons at, at the, uh, on the bridge? Oh right, that was great. I'm trying to yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like Rob uh, would take my head if he knew I let you go. So I'd rather him take your head than mine. <laughs> I liked um, the part two where Shay says she's talking with Tyrion and he says this is cruel and unfair, cruelly unfair. Mm -hmm. She says, "Oh, the cruelty! Shay is so cruel to me." <laughs> that was so funny. Um, what about you, Kristen? Do you have any other other little notes? Oh, sorry. Um, no, I already said my note. 
Um, there is, I, I liked the, whatever filter they used on the scenes or the dungeon scenes when Theon's getting tortured, it was like dark and bright at the same time. It looked really, really impressive. So whatever they did for that camera work there looked really cool. Um, just thought that was worth mentioning. And where do they find all these amazing filming locations? They got this big cross set up inside this room where Theon's being tortured, and it's just gorgeous. Like this, it's very obvious that they had a big budget um, increase yeah. for season three. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, amazing. I mean, just look at the direwolves. Um, they needed, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the the CGI just jumped up. <laughs> well, there were yeah, no totally. dragons this episode. Oh yeah, yeah. No dragons. No Danny. Got no at all. Danny. No Melisandre. No. A fun little piece of trivia for this episode: um, the boar head <laughs> that is shot oh, through the with the crossbow. Shooting from the hip too. That's some. Is damn that the good one aim. that killed Robert? That's the one that oh, killed Robert. That's clever. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. And they, yeah, because he wanted it served at a big feast. Mm-hmm. Everyone will taste the boar that got me. <laughs> I love Mark Adams. Yeah, no man. Robert Baratheon in this such episode. A good Robert. Yeah, <laughs> weird. Weird. Although, although we do, uh, we, he is alluded to as Joffrey prepares to go on a hunting trip. Oh, yeah. I was surprised that he was doing that. That seems to be something that would be a, a, an influence from Robert, who is known for his hunting trips. But he never really seemed to like Robert. I think he hunts like Ramsey hunts. Oh, <laughs> yeah, probably. Get some gutter rats from Flea Bottom. We'll hunt them in the in the royal wood <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, he definitely hunts Roz. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> later on, and it is uh, he, he unleashes her uh, tied to the bedpost of his bed, right? right? And hunts her there. Can't even handle it. <laughs> yeah, so fucked up. So fucked up. Man, yeah, I think we covered this episode pretty well. Yeah. Um, anything else you guys can think of that we didn't really talk about? Um, I'm good. My very, very last note is uh, we saw Winterfell in smoke in the intro. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, I never look. I never like end up paying attention to the intro. I'm so like <laughs> scatterbrained. I'm always doing something else while it's on. So everybody's always talking about like, oh, they changed this, they changed that. Never once did I notice. Mm-hmm. Any of that, but I think it's really cool that they do that. Well, I mean, it kind of alludes to the, uh, what we were talking about earlier when, um, Roose, yeah, Roose Bolton says that, or no, Rob says that, um, Roose's bastard got there and it was in ruins. Yeah, so it kind of showed yeah. that part, I guess. Put the castle to the torch, and it remains that way for years yeah, on the credits. Yeah. Um, yeah, I never notice it when it happens, but I hear about this stuff, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so that's pretty funny. Yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up our coverage for uh, Season 3, Episode 2, Dark Wings, Dark Words. We'll be right back. It was a light week in news, so we're just going to jump right into our winterscoming.net myth coverage. All right, so uh, we are continuing with our Game of Thrones as myth, and this time we have Melisandre as the Dark Herald. 
What is an archetype? In fantasy and myth, certain types of characters constantly re reappear. Stalwart heroes, odd mentors offering talismans, threshold guardians and their tests, and more. In this series, we take a fast and fun look at Game of Thrones characters and what traditional archetypes they fall into. This time, Melisandre. The Game of Thrones character of Melisandre is a wonderfully slippery and multifaceted <laughs> as far as archetypes go. Christopher Vogler, The Writer's Journey, reminds us to look at archetypes not as rigid character types, but rather as flexible character functions, which shift, expand, and illuminate the story. Ergo, Melisandre. She oozes elements of the shadow, shapeshifter, and shaman archetypes. Nice. The Herald's main purpose, as identified by Joseph Campbell, the hero with, th with the thousand faces, and refined by Christopher Vogler, is to warn and challenge the hero and launch him or her upon his or her <laughs> journey of passage mm -hmm. uh, and transformation. The Herald figure is so important to Greek myth that one of the gods, Hermes, his Roman equivalent is Mercury. Greek myth is awesome, by the way. Yeah performed this storytelling storytelling function. Melisandre is keenly aware of the danger coming from the north, and she sounds the alarm. She seeks to attach herself and her powers to a leader worthy of the communal defense, a leader who can ensure the survival of propag... propag survival and, propag and propagation. Yeah, <laughs> of her religion. And in the beginning, she believes this savior to be Stannis Baratheon, um, at the end of season five, her path has now led her to Jon Snow. The Herald's summons may be to live, or, at a later moment in the biography, to die. It may sound the call to come to some high historical undertaking, or it may mark the dawn of religious illumination. But whether small or great, and no matter what stage or grade of life, the call rings up the curtain, always on a mystery of transfiguration, a rite or moment or spiritual passage, which, when complete, amounts to a dying and a birth. The familiar life horizon has been outgrown. The old concepts, ideals, and emotional patterns no longer fit. The time for a passing of a threshold is at hand. Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. Though she is full of warnings and challenges, she is not a traditional herald archetype. Melisandre does not arrive on the hero's doorstep with a call to adventure like Gandalf to Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. She is more of a mysterious seer akin to the witches in Macbeth. Mm. I like Macbeth because it has a King Duncan. Oh, sorry. I thought I was going to sneeze. <laughs> sorry. And dark and manipulative as Melisandre is, her actions in the name of the Lord of Light, no matter how depraved, are ultimately dedicated to the salvation of Westeros. She is on a quest to find a savior to defeat the White Walkers. Melisandre's archetypal shamanic elements are always hard at work. She is a witch, after all. Though not with, uh, though not without serious misfires. While some of her predictions prove spooky, spookily accurate, her fire visions are notoriously suspect. <laughs> she <laughs> even admits to using some combination of real magic and trickery to Stannis's wife, Celise. Um, but there is real magic to Melisandre. She survives a drink of poison offered by Maester Crayson and gives birth to the Stannis shadow baby that kills Renly Baratheon. When Stannis, when Stannis blames 
and nearly strangles Melisandre that was great. for his defeat at the Blackwater, she predicts that Stannis shall commit even greater betrayals than the murder of Renly. Sorry, Shireen. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and rewards him with, guess what? Another unreliable vision in the flames. <laughs> so far, studying Melisandre as a herald archetype, we see she has some fine-tuned seer skills. And a supernatural knack for knowing where to go to find what she needs. And while she can be brutal, she is also calculating. Rather than giving in to rage over Sir Davos releasing Gendry, she prevents Stannis from executing Sir Davos because his skills will be needed in the coming war. Melisandre also displays her prophetic talents when she hints at Arya Stark's future experience with the many-faced god. I see darkness in you, and in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes... Eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. Melisandre to Arya in season three, episode six, The Climb. Oh, maybe she'll kill episode. Melisandre. <clears throat> that would be cool. <laughs> For Melisandre, it all comes down to winning the war against the White Walkers, and it can only be accomplished through a savior acting under the banner of the Lord of Light. The War of Five Kings means nothing. The true war lies to the north, my king. Death marches on the wall. Melisandre to Stannis in Season 3, Episode 10, Misa. <clears throat> when stationed with Stannis's army at Castle Black in Season 5, Episode 1, The Wars to Come, Melisandre becomes interested in Jon Snow, asking him if he is a virgin and happy with his negative response. Not long afterwards, she attempts to seduce Jon, Season 5, Episode 4, Sons of the Harpy. Uh, Melisandre wants Jon to prove that he is on the side of life, not death. But, still in love with Ygritte, he rejects her advances. Melisandre serves, uh, serves us another example of her supernatural powers when she repeats Ygritte's special words to Jon. You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> the Herald may be a positive, negative, or neutral figure. In some stories, the Herald is the villain or his emissary, perhaps issuing a direct challenge to the hero or trying to dupe the hero into getting involved. Melisandre's, oh, that was from Christopher Vogler, The Writer's Journey. Melisandre's sexual advances towards Jon Snow are important. The inner heat that keeps Melisandre warm in the cold landscape is also one of her weapons, a tool that she uses to manipulate the men she suspects, the man she, that she suspects could be the savior. The fact that she attempts to seduce Jon signals her sense that she is aware even unconsciously, of a uniqueness in him, one she is prepared to betray Stannis to acquire. Melisandre's willingness to commit evil acts in service of the Lord of Light reaches its darkest moment in The Dance of Dragons, Season 5, Episode 9, when she convinces Stannis to burn his daughter Shireen alive. Bitch. Mm. This mm -hmm. appears to be an act of desperation on Melisandre's part, for she has witnessed both the crippling of Stannis's army by a Bolton raid and the sight of a burning horse, which seems to seems to shake her shake her certainty concerning Stannis's ultimate victory. Yeah, I don't think there's any disputing that Melisandre is a herald. She's been heralding the whole time, basically. Yeah, <laughs> you know, pretty much yeah. the entire se series. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some Ravens calls. Gwendolyn Figueroa. Hey guys, such a great episode with more amazing introductions. First, the Queen of Thorns, uh, Thug Life. <laughs> <I> <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that Sansa 
even though terrified to talk, was able to open up to someone in authority and not feel so alone. I loved how Lady Olena basically said that if she was in charge, they wouldn't be in this mess of a mess. Um, mm -hmm. Second is Theon's mess. I remember when I first watched and being completely confused as to what was happening. Now that I know what's going on, I saw a clue. Theon is strapped to the X, that is the flayed yeah. man. Um, mm. That the flayed There's man is on, on the Bolton flag. Uh, third, the Brotherhood without banners, singing the reigns of Castamere. <laughs> mm. um, they are awesome. I loved how Arya was not backing down to these men who are no joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just great watching these episodes again and knowing who people are and what's going on. <laughs> Last week was great, too. I totally forgot how Barristan reunited with Danny. Yeah. Thanks for the great podcasts. You are welcome. Uh, thanks, Gwendolyn. Thanks, Gwendolyn. Yeah, and we just totally talked about the um, earlier, the, the whole flayed man. Yeah. Um, how you didn't really, I didn't even see it either. So, yeah. Yeah, good catch. Matthew Rep says, in the opening credits, it's hard, to, it's heartbreaking to see Winterfell burning. There you go. And then later on with the Flayed Men banners, it's going to be a long three and a half seasons oh. to reclaim it with the wolf. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> that's three and a half seasons. That's like, that's 30 episodes. I don't like that. Oh, man. I watched that live and it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember my first watch and being so confused as to who the Reeds were and how they fit into Bran's quest. Now knowing some more history about the Starks and Reeds, I'm so glad Bran has someone that can help him guide him down the seer warg path. Mm -hmm. Between Ramsay's men and soldiers that captures Jamie and Brienne, it makes me wonder if sadism is drilled into them during training, or if it's just every person born in that neck of the woods is just born evil. <laughs> Shay's jealousy of Sansa begins here with an offhand comment by Tyrion. Soon it will drive them apart. Mm. I think Shay's just stupid. <laughs> stupid. Right. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Some of us are thinking it. <laughs> Shay, I think she's just stupid. Hey, Shay. <laughs> You're stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Larkham says, when Catelyn is talking to Talisa, she is making a the seven god thing. I noticed that she was making the same thing in season one, episode two, while sitting at Bran's bedside. Good nope. call. Yeah, I, I had totally not like even thought about that. Um, so we also find out that the wildling Orel is also a warg, and Jon Snow is freaked out by it and doesn't believe it. Ooh. <laughs> Oh, John, yeah. with the things that you you think you don't believe. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he just saw a giant, but yet the warg is just blowing it's his mind much. over there. That's, that's a deal breaker right there. <laughs> um, Lucy Roberts says, my random mutterings for this episode. Does anyone feel like Elena and Marjorie torture Sansa? This kind of goes into what London was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. um, they question her about Joffrey with no regard for the pain or distress it causes her. And when they are done, they just eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really felt for Sansa in that scene, even though generally I love Elena. Um, I love Mance giving Jon some more of his manifesto. We're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's his. Yeah, that's his thing. Um, we need to band together. Of Mir, um, and she used the little um, oh, the heart, heart emoji <laughs> um, for the first time. And as an and as an aside, you should search 
YouTube. <laughs> I had to <laughs> say that aloud. Um, for Dennis Pennis, if you want to see what Paul K used to get up to on British TV. I'm assuming that's uh, the, uh, the actor who plays Thoros. Thoros. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that sounds cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Dennis that's Pennis. That's an interesting name. Dennis Pennis. It's we damn close that. to penis. Just one, I just thought one it said apart. penis. <laughs> <laughs> that's his name. Well. Um, Shay irritates the fuck out of me. How has she gotten so far in life when she acts like a fucking child all the time? She's stupid. <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Cruel well, we won't mean have to fear her very much more. Um, I'm not talking about Theon because this whole part of the story makes me feel queasy. Wait, did yeah. Kristen write this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you think Helen Reed knows where Jojen and Mira are? What do you guys think on that? I think so. You think so? Yeah, I think he knows. I think she knows about Jojen's visions. I think that he knows where they're headed and uh, that he's going to be waiting for word back. He was probably encouraged them to go because of his connection with Nark, with, with Nark, with Ned Stark, <laughs> Nark. <laughs> Ned Stark, Nark. Um, so yeah, I think that he probably knows, probably sent them, and uh, due to the past history of the two families, he's figured that you know if, if they felt compelled that there was some connection where they needed to work with the Starks, that they should do it. Um, and I, I don't see any reason that he would discourage that. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, what do you think, Kristen? Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about Howland Reed to make that assumption. Nobody really does. <laughs> we, it's you know entirely what I'm saying? speculation, yeah. <laughs> I feel like Definitely. I have to have, like, more information to make We have, like, very little information on Howland Reed. Wakes yeah. up one morning, yeah. kids are gone, windows open. He's a huh? <laughs> Helen Reed is a giant question mark. Yeah, it's going to be, I really hope we, you know, get an answer. Mm-hmm. Me right. too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Um, and hurrah for the start of the beautiful friendship between the Hound and Arya. Yeah. Yeah. I am so ready for that to definitely take. I, I love their, their journey. <laughs> Me too. And then she made a little um, bulletin mark point. Oh, and I love, love, love the fight between Breamy. Um, I just like Dreamy. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> like Varian. Got Varian, Varian and, and Breamy. That's <laughs> good. What would Arya and the Hound be? It would be a uh, uh, around around. <laughs> oh my around. gosh! Or would you be going they with did get uh, around, Sandor? So. I get around. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Lucy, for writing in all your random mutterings. Yeah, thanks. I like I love them. Mutterings. Thank I you like, very much. I like <laughs> random mutterings. <laughs> uh, we have an email from Anastasia Rumega, Duchess Elf Cosplay. Uh, okay, here we go. This episode brings back so many memories of how things were before all hell broke loose before the Red Wedding. Seeing the young actors that are still getting their characters down makes me feel even more proud of them watching their current progression in the series. Seeing the wolves does a heart... Seeing the wolves does a heart... So much good. So much good. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard sentence to wrap your mind Rewind. <laughs> Seeing a seeing the wolves does a heart so much good considering we got zero dire wolves in the newest season. Rewatching the cunning Marjorie and stunningly portrayed Olena MVP <laughs> work their magic on the Lannisters is always satisfying and Joffrey will forever remain the worst little shit ever period. 
<laughs> all in all, this episode really encompasses what made me fall in love with the series, which is a steady handle on its large cast of characters and their corresponding storylines. Thanks so much for writing in, Anastasia. And everybody, you guys should check out her cosplay, Duchess Elf Cosplay. It's awesome. Email, next is an email from Lord Tom of the Misty Moor. Hey, Duncan Hi, Tom. K. Hey, Tom. And in case you guys don't know, Tom is an artist, um, and he did, he actually sent us some really amazing uh, prints of a, a Jon Snow and Ghost piece that he did. Um, I Ooh, posted a I link to, to his... Uh, I don't know, actually, maybe I didn't get around to posting it yet, but he sent me a link to his Facebook, or sorry, his Etsy page, and um, I want to post it on our page so everybody can check out his artwork, because it's really cool. Um, but yeah, look him up, Tom Moore on, on Etsy. I know where I'm going to hang mine. Nice. I'm really excited. I don't have a stable location yet, um, but if I if I decide to do some Game of Thrones videos for YouTube, I'll make a big backdrop and it'll be on there along with like a bunch of maps and swords and badass so cool. paraphernalia. I don't know if that's the right word. So hey, Duncan K. I've been slammed at work lately, so haven't had time to write in, but I'm still here with you guys and loving the podcast as ever. Thanks. Whoa, what a series this will be and a great episode. We were introduced to so many new characters. We have Lady Olena telling it like it is. That woman rocks. <laughs> Ramsey making a brief appearance to think we thought that there was that he was there to save Theon. Honestly, though, who really gives a shit about him at this stage? He's saying anything <laughs> to stop his pain. He's so lost. Also, we have. Are we going to say something? I was just going to say, that's true. It, it was a long time before I thought it was too much for Theon. A long <laughs> yeah. time. Right. Yeah. Yep. And now you can't even watch. Because uh, it's like, you're yeah. so fucked up. It, no, it's too <laughs> yeah, much yeah, yeah. like to look it's at. Brutal. But I, I felt even he was still, it was still deserved. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can hear that, too. Um, also, we have Aurel, Jojen, and Mira showing us lots about warging. Jojen is starting to teach Bran the ways of the Force, and we're getting hints about what he will become. Tom also does really good Star Wars art, too, so check that out. Ooh. Yeah, we've seen Bran do it before, but we learn that it is more common than we think as we see Aurel and his eagle. In fact, it's so common north of the wall that apparently Ygritte feels fine mocking Jon for have, having never met a warg. Yeah, sure, Ygritte. We see him all the time. White-eyed, weird-looking skin changers. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I find her pretty irritating at this point. She's always so smug and belittling, and she winds me up almost as much as she does to Jon. <laughs> I totally can see that. Mm -hmm. So funny. Side note, if you guys like Rose Leslie, Igrit, you should check out a British series called Utopia. It's so dark and funny. Here's a quick synopsis. The story follows a small group of people who find themselves in possession of the manuscript sequel of a cult graphic novel called, novel called The Utopia Experiments which is rumored to have predicted the worst disasters of the last century. This leads them to be targeted by an organization known as the Network, which they must avoid to survive. Using the manuscript, they must uncover the, the hidden meaning in its pages before the disasters depicted become reality. That sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I'd really recommend it, Tom says. Sadly, they cut it short after only two seasons, but Rose Leslie has a huge role in it in the second series, and it's definitely worth a watch anyway. Cool. Yeah. Joffrey and Cersei are just so pathetic. She continues. She's trying so hard to control him, but he doesn't have any patience for her. It's so ironic that Joff loathes flowers, and yet he's marrying Lady Marjorie, whose house sigil, sigil is literally a golden flower. <laughs> Cersei's jab about being there more than enough 
about there being more than enough fabric was so bitchy. Later, the scene with Marjorie and the crossbow. Do you recognize that design? This was a mini prototype for the huge weapon that Braun uses to fire at at uh, Drogon in season seven. It's got that quick reload design feature. Wow, I never oh, noticed I that. I didn't even notice that. Damn. So that's, yeah, the Kyburn bases his ballista off this new crossbow design. Mm -hmm. That's fucking radical. Um, dark wings, dark words. Catelyn's words from season one when they receive the scroll from King's Landing. The scroll that Roose Bolton brings to Rob in this episode contains news that Hoster Tully is dead and that Winterfell burns. Both of these events are nails in the coffin for the Stark family. Rob loses his grip on the Northern Army in the coming episodes, culminating in the execution of Lord Karstark at Riverrun, and later in the season, well, we know what's coming. We all know what's coming. <laughs> oh, and we were also introduced to Thoros, Angai, and the Brotherhood playing like Robin Hood in the woods. <laughs> hey, I made a rhyme. <laughs> now, when I'm done talking, the arrow is falling down on your fat head, so, advise, so I advise you move, because I'm done talking. Jump! Oh, <laughs> oh one more thing. Catelyn says she realized that what the worst that she was the worst woman who ever lived after she cursed Jon Snow to die as a baby. She said Maester Lewin told her the child would live, but it, that it would be a long night, quote unquote. So nothing to worry about, Kristen. Your boy John will survive this in the end. It's Tom that I was referencing before. <laughs> Love you guys, Valor Margulis. Valor Doharis. <laughs> And he, uh, he then has a picture of Joffrey with a crossbow, a picture of Bronn firing the large ballista. You can see their comparison is accurate. Mm -hmm. He has the quote um, from, uh, from uh, between Joffrey and Marjorie about how he would turn him on to have her watch her killing. And then he has a picture of Lloyd Christmas, like, <laughs> like <laughs> from Dumb and Dumber. So, yeah, I think that fits pretty, pretty well there. Um, from a traveler of the middling roads, citizen of the McCumber's blue eye. Sir Duncan, thanks for reading my email on last week's show. I have a few thoughts on why Sam and Ranger Will were left alive, and they are based on who the others are and what uh, and what they are trying to achieve. The reasons could be social, a terror tactic, or an attempt to communicate. 1A, a social reason. The warriors of the others are culture finds it unbecoming to kill someone who is not fighting back. 100% not true. White Walkers move in silence, hunt by night, have armor that makes them invisible, and then use the Trojan horse type tactics, like returning dead men on um, of the Night's Watch to surprise attack the Lord Commander in his sleep. 1B. Yeah. A social reason. A warrior's pride in a display of bravery or ba battle prowess such as the American Plains Indian counting coop, touching an enemy with your bare hand or coop stick in battle, not hurting your opponent in order to retell the tale of action later around the campfire. White Walkers might recount tales of having the knights or of having the knights watch crapping their pants or <clears throat> or stories of the men fleeing in fright. Eighty percent not true. If the White Walkers can speak scroth a language that sounds like cracking ice, like in the books. 100% um, not true if the White Walkers share a telepathic or shared mind link with each other, as they prepare to do on the show, they would just know what each other did in battle. Um, two, a terror tactic. By letting Ranger Will and then Sam later on run away to report the return of the White Walkers to the Night's Watch and or the King in the South in an effort to cause 
chaos and panic as a form of psychological warfare or as an attempt to move a military force back south, something that could be done by a report of a living eyewitness and not another dead patrol, which then generate another patrol. 55% chance of not being true. The White Walkers created two large glyphs with the bodies of the slain men, um, the the bodies of the slain men, the one witnessed by Ranger Will was a circular or was a circle bisected by a line. This means um, something it took effort to do. Um, so it was important for Ranger Will to report it. What does it mean? My personal guess is they found where or they were found on the wrong side of our agreement. The second glyph with swirling lines in fashion or in the fashion of the whirlpool um, the, in the bodies of the Night's Watch. What does that mean? My personal guess, we have a deal, and the deal does not have an end to it. So that brings us to... <clears throat> three, an attempt to communicate. The White Walkers leave a living witness and created large glyphs to communicate two things. One, we have a deal with the, fist, or with the First Men and the King of Winterfell, and that deal does not have an end to it. And two, we have found trespassers. We will bring them to you as proof um, in the areas reserved for the children of the forest. Come to the predetermined site to entreat a mitigation. Um, let's call the site East Watch by the Sea. We will wait by or we will wait the predetermined amount of time of sixty full moons for a response. Let's call it <laughs> five television seasons. <laughs> um, and without a negotiation, the Night's King believes this is an invasion. The first men have not kept their side of the treaty and now must be annihilated. In my opinion, this is the most true 85 to 95% range. Side note, mm. the White Walkers can and will negotiate maybe by understanding the 12,000-year-old old tongue spoken by the first men, giants, and most wildlings, as Craster can't communicate by using the true tongue of the Children of the Forest, or Scroth. Uh, or the Scroth language of the White Walkers, as his throat cannot make those sounds. Maybe a telepath telepathic other or weirwood tree can be used to form a mind link for a complex negotiation, because a trade for a male or for male babies, for the concept of safety for all in my home, is a lot harder than um, a trade of a baby for a, that sword on your hip. I wonder if Gilly knows something about this. Um, a traveler of the middling. Rhodes, citizen of McCumber's eye, blue eye. Thanks for writing. Yeah, thank you. So what I'm what I'm taking it as is the White Walkers have three potential it's, ways of. He basically thinks it's the Battlestar Galactica scenario where, like, we broke the deal and they're coming back at us. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, that's probably that's probably right. Yeah. And we have a voicemail from Anwen. Anwen! <laughs> Hi, Duncan and Kristen. Hi, Travis. It's Anwen here. Just wanted to call in and talk about uh, something I've noticed over the last few episodes. Um, the contrast a couple of episodes ago between Theon and Tyrion. Um, Theon's told, you're not the man you're pretending to be. And he says, I've gone too far to pretend to be anything else. And he's really, really lost. I noticed that so much in that episode. He doesn't know who he is. And the contrast in that same episode with Tyrion, who's really finding out who he is. And he says, um, out Ooh, talking and out thinking them, it's what I'm good at. 
And then, of course, last week we see that's the first scene we see Terry and, um, and he's looking in the mirror and he's having one of those real who am I moments. It was quite a quiet moment um, that is probably quite subtle, but I really liked that. He's in this, his little room and he's wondering who he can trust and what's next for him. Mm-hmm. But he really knows his worth, I think, on the inside. And then Cersei inter- underestimates him and is just horrible to him. And then <laughs> Tywin is a complete prick, speaks so horribly to him and... Uh, the scene was only bearable to watch because I know what's coming to Tywin later. <laughs> yeah, and then this totally. last episode, um, Theon begins his ordeal, and he's in such a vulnerable place, not knowing where he he belongs or um, who to be loyal to. And then uh, Ramsay Bolton shows up, and he's just hideous. And thinking ahead to to what we know is coming is just is pretty awful. Theon trusts him, of course, and he trusts anyone who's going to stop the pain in that moment. So I've just really enjoyed the the contrast in the last uh, few weeks between these two characters, and I love how this show does that. It contrasts different characters' journeys, and I really like the idea that uh, conflict or trial or disaster can make or break you. So uh, keep up the good work. I'll be listening. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Anwen. Yeah. Thanks, Anwen. Thanks, um, and I have. She's so cute. I know, right? Uh, I'm going to New Zealand next week. And um, yeah, I, we're, my girlfriend and I were spending a week on the North Island and a week on the South Island. And so I contacted Andwin to to meet up. And nice. um, the only thing is, is where we're going in Christchurch in Queenstown. She lives over in Dunedin. So it's like six hours either way. And we're on like a oh. set schedule. But Rough. and because Andwin's awesome, she hooked us up with her dad no way um, yeah so we're when we're in Christchurch the night before we do Edoras tour like where King Theoden's Golden Hall is in Lord of the Rings um we're meeting up with Anwen's dad and I think no way that's awesome yeah and her stepmom and we're gonna have dinner and talk and hang out and he's gonna tell us all about his Lord of the Rings adventures and <laughs> that's so cool man yeah and she's been that sounds like a dream come true for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Apparently, definitely keep us updated. Yeah, I guess. Um, I think you guys said this before, and she's told me. Um, she and her dad were both in Lord of the Rings as extras, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, we're so cool. <laughs> stoked about that, and I think we're gonna Facetime Anwen while we're there. Um, better yeah mm-hmm. like with her dad and whatnot and then she yeah. <laughs> she she hooked us up with a couple of her other friends to try to meet up throughout our new zealand trip so um cool thanks anwen yeah thanks anwen yeah keep us updated yeah for sure we have a, another voicemail from uh archmaster rennie greetings it's archmaster rennie with some dark words flying to you on the dark wings of secret citadel technology <laughs> So this episode introduces one of the real low points of season three, just too much Theon torture porn. Where the books focus on the psychological damage done to Theon, the show just wallows in Ramsay's delight in inflicting pain. In the commentary track on the Blu-ray, the writer of this episode, Vanessa Taylor, says that she suggested repeatedly in the writer's room that they torture Theon less this season but nobody was interested in her pitch, in particular Benioff and Weiss. One of my favorite high points is Diana Rigg as the Queen of Thorns, my favorite performance and my favorite character of this season. She owns the screen every time she's on. 
On the commentary track, writer Vanessa Taylor says that Dame Diana exceeds her wildest expectations in this role. The director, Daniel Minahan, says that Diana Rigg was his first TV crush as Emma Peel in The Avengers, showing that he has excellent taste. Understatement of the episode? Thoros to Arya. You're a dangerous person. One last note. Last week, you cited some further evidence that Peter Baelish might know that Arya was Tywin's, Tywin's cupbearer. And I think it might be true that he did. But whether he did or not, his knowing didn't come to anything. His and Arya's paths to his ultimate execution at Arya's hand were unaffected by his knowledge or lack thereof. It's just an eternal dangling thread of which there are a few too many in the series. And while some dangling threads may get knit up in season eight, that one will never be. This is Archmaester Rennie saying, read the books. Hail Kristen. Hail Duncan. Thanks, Archmaester Rennie. Thanks for sending in that um, voicemail, Rennie. Thanks so much, Rennie, for calling in. And I apologize to anybody else whose feedback didn't make it this week. It's been a really busy week, and I've got a big test and stuff like that. So I just didn't have time to go back through on Wednesday and uh, record new feedback. So I apologize about that, and we'll make sure to get you next week. All right, that's our show, episode 64. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. It's so good to have you. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. It yeah. was so nice having you back on. Yeah, it's always uh, good to have I, you. I'm I'm always available. So whenever you guys want to chat Game of Thrones, I love being on the, on the podcast. And I'm always listening. And awesome. you guys are doing awesome as the new uh, duo. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Next episode, we'll be covering season three, episode three, Walk of Punishment. Give us a walk of shame. <laughs> yeah. Shame. Yeah, give it a give us a watch. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on the air. I guess the Walk of Punishment is the trudging through the snow of the Night's Watch, right? It made me think of the Cersei thing, though. <laughs> it just made me think of Walk of Shame. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> shame. I was like, what is the Walk of Punishment? Because I just kept thinking of Walk of Shame. I was like, is this the right title? You know. <laughs> shame. <laughs> Thank you to everybody that's been um, giving us lots of feedback. We really appreciate it. Keep it coming. We love to hear from you. Yeah, if you'd like to call us, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. And don't forget to head over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Impslap. <laughs> We're also on Twitter and Instagram at gompodcast. Also, give us a like on Facebook, give us a like on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and give us an iTunes rating and review yeah. if you have something nice to say. Please. <laughs> All the reviews. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thanks for listening.
looks like your woman's getting the better of you, if you can call that a woman. We enjoy a good fight. Gets our juices flowing. And I know well, right. you're, you're a big Cereal Pharrell guy. How do you think he would have reacted to this? <laughs> Who, me? Yeah. Did oh. I just call you a guy? Uh, you're a big Cereal Pharrell fan. How do you think he would react to this? <laughs> <laughs> I might have been a Cereal Pharrell guy. Well, you don't know. She might be a faceless guy. I shouldn't gender you know. assume. Yeah, you know what? You should. Kristen, that was, Kristen that is Cereal. Your... <laughs> uh, uh, Travis, shh. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. A girl is not a man. In capital letters, smack. Hip <laughs> slap. Yeah, hip slap. Just bam. Yeah, this is this is fucked up. Yeah. Kara uh, Haber, Tez, do Bueller. <laughs> if Bueller. Yeah, not Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Um, okay. Yeah. As yeah. Yeah. Sir I, Pounce looks on. With the crown Sir next Pounce to him. Sir Pounce is abandoned. Sir Pounce is like, wait for me! Meow! Is Jamie and Brienne traveling and fighting? Yay! Oh, now it begins. No, now it ends. You're good. Graceless, but good. <laughs> that, that dude's just like creepy. Is like his, Just his voice in general. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I... I used to kill people on the streets of King's Landing. You know, like, yeah, that guy's fucking awesome. <laughs> and Osha all of a sudden hears a bird of prey off in the distance. <laughs> and um, and she's like, oh, we got to get out of here. We don't know who's watching. Oh, we had creepy bow time with Jofster, which you guys talked about, which is funny. Rewind. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.